admire your courage, Miss... Uh... Trench. Sylvia Trench. I admire your luck, Mr... Bond. James Bond. and welcome to another exciting episode of Do You Expect Us To Talk? I'm your host, Becca Andrews, and joining me as always are the lovely Chris and Dave. How are you guys doing? I'm feeling lovely, thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not feeling anything if it makes anyone feel more comfortable. <laughs> yeah, I think I've just creeped all the listeners out just by saying that. <laughs> That's not creepy at all. Oh, I must, I must try harder then. <laughs> We've reached the end of our Bond movie reviews. Are you sad? Yeah, I am. I, 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 I kind of, I, I'm excited we're moving on, but I've enjoyed this, and we are a Bond podcast in everything we do. So I, I'm sad that I'm not going to be in that world for a while, but I'm sure a couple of weeks after I move on and we move on to other things um, and our heads in something else, We'll, we'll really be enjoying it. But yeah, at the moment, this is kind of bittersweet. Yeah, it's like an end of an era, almost. And it's we've How, how long are we going for? Is it basically for about a year? Well, nearly? we recorded our first one last August. I don't know when we put it out, because we had two or three in the can. Mm. I got a feeling we recorded early August and put it out later in August. So we've been going about 11 months. I don't expect... I, I would expect that... Um, for example, Star Trek is about half this length and I don't expect it to take half this long. I think it will be a bit less. But obviously Chris has had a very, very busy year and, and things have got in the way. But yeah, we've been, we've been at Bond for 11 months now. And it, it's, it's a bit weird. We're finally here. We're finally come to the point where we're, doing, we're listing out our favourites of the Finifit list of our favourite Bond films in order. Um and, uh, yeah, it's, this it's, is going to be it now, isn't it? It's going to be it. I'm not going to change it anymore. It's going to be this is the list. You always come across these uh, these lists, particularly when like a new Bond film comes out. So all oh, like oh, the rankings of a Bond film list by uh, whoever or a certain website, and you kind of almost get angry. You think, no, you just kind of you put License to Kill way down too low, or Majesty's well, Majesty's isn't even the top five. What the fuck are you doing? You know, or, or, or something like that, or just like you know, and just over like, and putting Skyfall above Majesty's and something ridiculous and things like that. So you just think, yeah, just little things like you think, oh, I get so annoyed. So it, it... I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm nervous tonight at all because I'm quite happy to say what I think. But I do think shows like this, they're a bit no win because we've got 25 films we're going to rank tonight. The sheer number of variations within that, plus the fact there's three of us, every single person who listens to this show is going to be pissed off at some point. <laughs> you know, even if they broadly agree with, say, me, they're going to think, yeah, but you put that one too low or too high. 
how seriously they take it will vary, but you know, I've never seen a Bond rankings list that rank what that match what I'm going to say tonight. Not because I'm wildly, you know, off off the wall with what I'm going to say, but just because there are so many variables. It's, it's all objective. Well, it's all subjective as well, isn't it? And it's like, well, you know, see, with, with all us being so big, like Bond fans, it's like this is sound really sad, but it's like these are my babies. And it's like I can't choose. But I'm going to yeah. do it anyway. Oh, I know, I, I know how you feel. I mean, we're, we're going to get to. I think probably before we go into the rankings, we'll probably talk a little bit about our rationale behind how we rank them. But there's certainly one or two we'll get to that I'm like, oh shit, I can't put it higher than that. And there's 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 a few that I really wanted to put higher than I can. Um, in terms of my rationale for ranking them, I, I've tried to balance quality, sub you know subjectively my view on quality with personal preference. And whilst I don't have three lists, I don't have, well, this is what it would be if it was personal preference. This is what it would be if it was purely quality. We will get to a couple of films in, the, in, in this ranking list where I'll say, well, if it was just quality, I'd be ranking this a little higher. Or if this was just personal preference, I'd be ranking this a little higher. Um, I've really tried to balance it, but, but where... Where things, you know, go a little bit lower than I'd like, it's whether I've got a genuine case for putting them higher than the things ahead of them. What about you, Chris? Well, for me, it's kind of, looking at lists, it's kind of similar to what you say. I mean, like, I think we can all look, we can all kind of break up our lists into certain areas. We've got our top five, and then and then we've got, like, the, the, like, the six to ten, which are kind of like the contenders for the top five, you know, the ones that just missed out that we kind of want to be there, but just just about like miss 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 the mark so to speak then we kind of get to the middling ones which are kind of like the ones we can't we we basically we kind of like um but, but a, a bit more than 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 the others but we they start to kind of start varying down a little bit but they all kind of have similar kind of stretches of quality whether like either they're like really good but just you know we or we we just have other favorites or we have like yeah we've got like sort of something a bit cheesy enough and a bit silly but it's you know we always enjoy watching it you know uh and then that even the the, the bottom end i mean we, i think I, I think we can all guess what our least favorite is i'm guessing it's going to be the same <laughs> well actually maybe not but no, becca might be different yeah we'll actually in a moment. but um who knows but e- even then, it's like, well, how 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 far do you really go? I mean, like, I mean, there's 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 re- there's really really bad, but like, oh my god, it's so stupid. Or there's like, you know, th- th- there's so many different things where you can. Uh, it's hard to really judge. Um, so I don't know. Um, I've just kind we of will, we will we will explain our choices. Yeah, and we will. I think. You know, if we've ranked something where we genuinely believe it doesn't belong, but it's where we want to put it, we'll tell you that. Becca, what about your rankings? Have you have you kind of have you gone on personal preference? Have you gone on quality? Have you tried to balance the two? Um, yeah, I've tried to. It's, it's a balancing act, really. It really is. Um, I found it quite difficult. Um, I think I tried to do it. I think just after Spectre came out on one of the various Bond fan pages. And I kind of thought, oh, okay, I revisited that list. And then some of them are just wildly different. Like so I've, a few that I've kind of um, rewatched, just, and, you know, try and squeeze a bit more from them. Mm-hmm. And some of them I've enjoyed more. And some of them I thought, oh, okay, no, and in terms of production quality, they're better films. Um, but yeah, I've tried to kind of balance a thin line of what, you know, how they resonate with me personally. 
um, what I can get out of them and generally in terms of their production qualities as well. So it's kind of somewhere in the middle, hopefully. Um, there are some, there's some up there that I would kind of, that obviously maybe some films like to any other our listeners, um, they might think, hold on a minute, you know, X is a much better film, blah, 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 blah. Why did she rank it so low? And I think, well, actually, so I think it's rubbish or I enjoy Y a lot better, you know, a lot more. So yeah, it's, yeah. Trying, it's a thin line yeah. between quality and personal it, it is difficult. I mean, there are a couple of films when we get to them that I've ranked lower than their, what I believe to be their objective quality. But there are also a couple of films that I think are in the public consciousness a little bit overrated. So I've ranked them lower than I think most people would. And I just think, as I say, take it for what it is. It's three people giving you their opinion, their only opinions, to each their own. And we've tried to be fair to these films as we've gone through. And we'll try to be fair to them as we rank them. I will. I will say this, regardless of what how low some films may rank or how high I put them over other films. Uh, on some level, I do love them all. Um, because because even like sort of like say the Nafos, like Roger Moore, they have a sense of nostalgia. It's still even say like a Pierce Brosnan one or a, or, or or like a earlier. Or a later Connery, or so, or something. The, the, there is a sense of like it, it's Sunday afternoon. I'm ten, you know, sitting in front of the TV. It, it's kind of like a nostalgia warm blanket. Even even though I'm not saying that there are better films in the series than a particular films, I still respect it. I will happily sit and watch it. You know, so there is not a single film in this series that if I walked in and it was on, I would go switch that off. I would sit down and watch any of them. That tells you something about the series, doesn't it? Or maybe it tells you something about us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I've been quite brutal to, a, to two films in particular in this series. Well, three, actually. But One of them's justified, though. Um, well, I would say two of them are justified. Two of them justified, yeah. One, the one that isn't, I'll, I'll admit when I get there. But the, the fact is, I've been quite harsh on them. But that's watching with a critical eye. There's not a Bond film I can't watch as background. Yeah, so it's cinematic comfort food, isn't it? As, as we said before. I think we ought to talk about the Bond films sequentially. <laughs> <laughs> on your bunch of rankers, let's get on with it. Let me have a quick rank first. <laughs> I was seeing uh, Tommy's joke there. Sorry about that. Thanks, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to hand over to Chris because Chris used to present, uh, before the Cinematronics podcast, you used to present the Top 5 show and you used to get people on your show. It's how I first heard you, actually. You used to have people on ranking their Top 5 films. Yeah. So Chris is going to shepherd us through this. Okay. In which, in, in however he wants to, in whatever order he wants to. Da, 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 da. Uh, <laughs> I was tempted to use the <laughs> music for that, so, you know. Let's do things. <laughs> anyway. uh, Chris, we're in your hands, not literally. That would be wrong. <laughs> Good evening, <laughs> pot pickers. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, so, um, so there's 25 Bond films. Uh, so we're gonna start from uh, bottom to top. I'm gonna go to Becca. What is your least favorite Bond film? Well, surprise, surprise, at number 25, it's Dine of the Day. Oh, killer surprise. Um, yeah, it's, it's not even so 
so bad. I can't even act shocked, really. But anyway, go it's on. Just, yeah, it's like, not even so bad, it's good. It's just that it's so bad, it's bad. It's like, yep, there are some enjoyable aspects, but this is just rubbish. <laughs> yeah, I, it is kind of like, the like for most Bond fans, the worst Bond film ever made um, to, in, in, in their eyes. Um, do, you, do you agree, Dave? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> in that um, I haven't put it last, but I do think it's objectively the worst film in the series. But I, I can't, I, I can't disagree with Becca. Only, only accept that I have. Okay. Well, you know, it's, it's not really much to more to say. It, it, you know, it died of. I mean, it's not my bottom. Um, it's not my yes. least favorite film. But uh, okay, I guess we better move on to mine then. So okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think I, I, I can I, guess what I, it's going to be. I don't think it's objectively necessarily the worst film in the series. But what it screams is tiredness. Die Another Day, and when we get to it, I don't want to talk too much about it now because I'll talk to about, about it when we get to it. Or when I get to it, it's not at number 24. Oh, right? God, that's too but high. Hang on, we'll get to it. Um, but Die Another Day is made with enthusiasm, and, and the film I've put last has no enthusiasm or life in it. The Bond actor in it is often accused of phoning in, and I don't agree. I think he made an effort. But I think his feelings about the role came through and hence he ended up playing it as a misanthrope. I think the lines in it are very weak. I think it looks very cheap and tacky and very little in it makes any sense. So whilst it's not objectively the worst in the series, I had the most miserable time with Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, I can concur that that is my... Uh, least favourite Bond film I have on the list uh, I agree with everything that Dave said to a minor extent I just thought it was kind of really dull and ugly looking um, Connery's worst performance uh, he, he felt like he didn't give a shit don't think anyone, anyone really gave a shit at that time um, it it just it, it's just a bit of a misstep as well it just fails on most level it, it doesn't even have a good way to like sort of wave off like a, a feeling like Blofeld it's just such a, a missed opportunity You're not not even like a, oh I'll get you next time it's just felt like what so is he dead what it, we don't know yeah yeah it's just like oh well that wasn't really well done and, and I think well, it, 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 I think elements of this film are a bit Marmite as well and Blofeld's one of them I really don't like Charles Gray as Blofeld but I fully respect why Becker does because he does it is kind of a camp take on it, which I can imagine people liking, but it's just another misstep. And and, what, and a little bit like when we get to Skyfall Inspector later, regardless of what you think with, of the film that preceded them, they're a course correction we didn't need. Yeah, I think the thing with Charles Gray, I mean, like it doesn't really matter if it's like, oh, if it replays him camper than you like. So if, if it works in the film, you, you'd get away with it. But I don't think the film does enough to to to, to get that mark, you know. So it doesn't sort of work, do enough to make you even care. It's just like, oh, right, great. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I do enjoy Charles Gray in, in, in it anyway. You know, I mean, Phil put my critical eye and say, well, you know, it's not my favourite Blofeld, but, you know, as a, as a villain performance, I have no problem. But it's just again the handling, the the plotting as to, as probably on the the least likable Bond girl in it as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, 
and completely fucking useless. And <laughs> <laughs> well, that won't be the last time we say that tonight. No. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. But um, I, I just didn't have... There's only two films in this series that I never really have any fun with. And they are my bottom two, regardless of their objective um, qualities. Um, I found this quite miserable when we reviewed it. And it actually ended up generating a really good show. I mean, Diamonds Are Forever, if you haven't heard it, listeners, it is one of our very best shows because we ripped the piss out of it. Because there's no logic in this film at I, all. I recommend listening to our um, On Our Majesty's podcast before that because it's like a really nice sort of bookend because it makes sense of like how much we love On Our Majesty's Secret Service to... Uh, it's <laughs> just how how much we how much fucking hate, hate it. Time. It's, it's yeah, such absolutely. a drop in like. So, uh, Becca, what's your uh, number twenty four? Number twenty four. Number twenty four. Purely because it's not a real Eon Bond movie. It's never seen ever again. It's nothing against like the quality of the film. Connery is clearly having much a much better time um, than as he did actually as Bond. But it's just because it's not a real Eon movie, and therefore it is ranked slightly higher than Die Another Day. And that is all I have to say. No, but I, no, I, I understand that because you know you still, you know, has the warm comforts. You know, so you say like sort of diamonds are for, diamonds are forever. I don't know where it is on your list. Obviously, it's higher. Find out in a moment. <laughs> I'm a little bit concerned. It's coming not... soon. <laughs> I'd be surprised how soon it comes. But um, but it still has like sort of the bonding joke, like the gun barrel and all sort of touches. And plus, you really do like you know the. Charles Gray's Blofeld, and there's this, so there are, there are things in it, you know, I can see, okay, that's fine. Like my top five, for example, um, well, spoiler alert, there'll be kind of, you know, the, the sort say. Of, no, that's it, but it's, it's going to be wildly different, like my top five, are, you know, the ones that I think are sort of a classics, um, that I enjoy watching, and I get, you know, find something new out every single time, whereas like my bottom five or something, for example, are just ones that I perhaps don't enjoy so much, I mean, you know, they may have amazing production qualities, or just perhaps I'm kind of thinking, eh, they're a bit silly, or they just kind of don't really fit. They're tonally all over the place. You know, production issues along the way, things like that. But never seen ever again. There's so, so much fun to be had in that movie. Um, I mean, Fatima Blush is like one of the best Bond girls outside of the, you know, outside of the franchise. Um, just purely by the outrageous costumes that she wears. Well, it's fair. There's only um, one film outside the franchise. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's just like, yeah, you I know. Really. And Connery's having a good time, and it's funny, and there's, you know, locations are looking gorgeous. Um, but it's just it's not an Eon film, and I didn't. I'm begrudgingly counting it in this list. Okay, fair enough. Because Eon movie, damn, you know. Fair enough. That's my reason. It's not. It's a very selfish one, but it's not a real Bond movie. <laughs> damn it! <laughs> damn it! It's not even a Bond. Yeah, film. I. There are a few on my list that don't deserve to be where they are, and I will freely admit it. And I make no apologies for it because I hate it. Um, and I know some of you think it's overrated and, uh, sorry, underrated and, and all the rest of it. The fact is there are two films in this series I have never had any sort of good time with at all. My number 24, unsurprisingly, is Octopussy. <gasps> now, whilst, whilst, well, obviously all of the other Roger Moore films are above this, and I'll explain why when we get there. But Octopussy isn't worthless, and I do want to say that it has decent set pieces, decent action, um, decent locations, but you've got a man who's way too old, and they've partnered him with a guy who's not only way too young, but not an actor. And I just get bored with it. And and if you said to me now, can you tell me what happened in Octopussy? I'd kind of lose the plot about halfway through. (laughs) 
I think it happened I, in review. I, <laughs> I get bored. I One get India, so bored. And I can't remember the rest. <laughs> in, <laughs> in its defence, the backgammon scene's very good, and property of a lady sequence at the auction's really good too. And whilst people point out the action sequences are good, and I would concur, you still have really shit, well, great stunt work, but it, it's too different. The leading man and the guy that's replacing him is now getting laughable. I'm largely bored during this film. I, I don't think, I think some of it might be it's not been fantastically well restored compared to some of the films. It feels a bit drab to me. Um, but the fact is, I will freely admit Octopussy deserves to be higher. What I won't admit is that it deserves to be high. I still think it's a really piss poor Bond film. And it was quite interesting recently because we're, we're friends with Norman Wanstall, who won an Oscar for Goldfinger. Uh, on Facebook, and he watched Octopussy for the first time recently, and he was rather disgusted by it. Yeah, he wasn't a fan, was he? He was totally like, that is not Ian Fleming's James Bond at all. And that, as a bottom line, is where I am. We will, you know, maybe we'll talk about favourite Bonds as we go through, but my biggest problem with Roger Moore, particularly as he got old, is that not one point in the series, even at his most brutal, did I think this guy could kill me. And Octopussy is an old man in a oh. film. So I kind of apologize for where it is, but on oh, the same on the same by the same token, I can't apologize at all. I really don't like this film. My bottom five are all poor, but this and Diamonds are the two films in the series I've never got any enjoyment out of. My no- my number twenty-four um it's, it's again. It's one of the films that actually surprised me that it's this low, and it 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 comes in a point where like I think when it comes to my listings. There's like a sort of a certain box, and all like kind of try and contend to like which one I get more enjoyment out, of, which one I feel most flow better, uh, have maybe have these sort of problems. And with all due respect, I think number number twenty four is Man with the Golden Gun. Um, and you know, and and again, I go back to what I said at the beginning. It's not that I hate this film, uh, like as uh, at all. You know, um, it just I think it's just a bit of a mess. It's just a bit all over the place. You know, oh, you know, Bond, you know, like has a has a bullet sent to him, and then he has to go and trap, you know, find another bullet to I, I don't know <laughs> for no reason whatsoever. Um, and it's it's just. It's, it, it, I think it's Roger Moore trying to find his feet as Bond, but it's just a little bit too messy. It has yes, it has a good villain, but it's a wasted opportunity, um, and it does sag in the middle. It, it's it, 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 it's a film, it's a Bond film that could have been great, but it just isn't. So, um, with all due respect, I think you know, Man with the Golden Gun is my uh, number twenty-four. I think I think we're all shocked and all thinking, oh, "Where's?" Uh, well, no, we're not because I will take up the baton and start the number twenty threes. Then my number twenty three is the man with the golden gun because I, I really had a. I mean, when I came to rank them, there's there's a slight gap, but I was really debating when it when it just came to the Roger Moore films. Forget the series as a whole, whether I was going to put this above or below a view to a kill. Now. My first gut reaction, and I think I say it on the show, or one of the shows, was to say The Man with the Golden Gun, because you've got a younger Roger Moore, you've got 
Scaramanga, who's one of the iconic villains of the series, and Nick Nack, who you could argue is one of the iconic henchmen in some respects. But the problem with The Man with the Golden Gun is, again, it takes some lovely locations and make them look incredibly drab. You've got the late Guy Hamilton, and I feel bad saying about this, about somebody who died this year, but some of his work on this film was rather sloppy. The score's not very good, whereas the View to a Kill score's lovely. The cinematography in A View to a Kill's lovely. You've got the Dream Team in A View to a Kill. <laughs> good old Dream um, Team. There are lots of things, and the, but the single biggest problem with this film is it's confused. You've got this Solex agitator plot, which they just needed to drop completely and focus on Bond versus like his nemesis and make something of that. And the fact is, I don't hate this film like I hate my bottom two, but the man with the golden gun largely bores me. And it's in the real ugliest part of the 70s in terms of the way people are dressed and everything else. And so I really couldn't put it any higher than this. So my number 23 is The Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah, you feel like you have like better memories of it as a child, but when you rewatch it, it's kind of disappointing. Well, when you think my nostalgia plays into it, and The Man with the Golden Gun was my first Bond film, you'd think the goodwill of that would shoot it up the charts a bit. It is yeah. a signal. It is a sign of how much it wastes its premise. But the worst thing about it, apart from everything I've just said, is that everyone goes, oh, Scaramanga, and they're right. But watch the film again. He's hardly in it. And he should be in it more. He should be. It's a waste opportunity. Um I wish there was like a director's cut somewhere with more Christopher Lee in it. Yeah, I mean, I wonder. I do think there might be a recut of this film that's really good, but there's probably some footage that got lost may, on, the, on the cutting room we floor. We may never see it now, but yeah, it's we'll it's, never see it. It's, it's the light of day. It's boring, and a Bond film should never be boring. Just for a change of pace, my number twenty-three is Diamonds Are Forever. Well, I'm just relieved because <laughs> I mean, this is Roger Moore's favourite Bond film. Oh dear, poor old Rog. Sorry, Rog, if you're listening. With the Queen and Samuel L. Jackson and, <laughs> Mark know, and Murray Walker and Riddick Bowe and Michael Aspel. <laughs> Michael Aspel, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Um, what can I say? Yeah, just well, reasons we said already. I mean, Connery's pretty much phoning it in. Um, it's just all of it. It's, it's, it's fun, it's camp, it's whatever you want to call it. Um, it's just ridiculous. Um, and it's just it's high silliness from, from beginning to end and it's not what well, as we were saying previously it's not what Ian Fleming's Bond is all about really um, this is you know similar way to you feel Dave, Dave about Roger in, um, in Octopussy this man isn't going to kill you I don't kind of think that if, if you compare Sean Connery for like how, how vital he is in, in Doctor No for example just the vitality that exudes from him coming out of diamonds you just think you know he doesn't give a shit um See, I, I've never quite agreed with that. I, I respect your opinion because a lot of people say that. It, my problem isn't Connery not making an effort. It's more the fact for me that not only does he not look the part anymore, which is really shocking no, for a 41-year-old man, yeah. but it's also the fact that his feelings about the character and the role are bleeding through into the performance, even though he's perfectly present in all the scenes. So yeah, he's making he, he an does, effort. He gets all the T's and you know crosses, crosses all, a, uh, drops, drops all the eyes and crosses all the T's. Yeah. Is, it, in a is, it, is, way, is it a sense that he's like beneath this now? 
I don't he's know. Over it. Oh, sorry, he's no, so, so he's above it. it. Yeah. But the film is totally really confused, Becca. I mean, didn't didn't you feel? Yeah, it's, it's all over the place. I mean, I mean, Charles Bray is like, it's fun to watch. Generally, as an actor, it's fun to watch. Um, he's sort of one of the highlights in *Nearly Twice*, for example, when he pops up as Dicker Henderson, even though it's very short-lived. Um, but it's just it's, there's no, it's no threat. You know, meant to be one of he's basically an arch nemesis, and you stick him in a wig and a ridiculous hat, and there's just no threat to him whatsoever. It's just no point. And he's kind of being dangled in his bathroom. So at the end, you're like, what? What the hell? You know, how do you sort of employ these people? <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, man! <laughs> That's up, not down. <laughs> so, oh dear, it's just ridiculousness, and I just can't. I'm just going to spew more hate upon it. I just can't say anymore. So. Anyway, that's my number 23. What about yours, Chris? My number 23 is Never Say Never Again. Um, you know, it's fine. I, you know, I have no problem with um, uh, uh, Never Say Never Again, apart from, like, you know, the few things we discussed in the podcast, such as, you know, the score and, you know. And, but I think, you know, there, there are certain things I like. Like, uh, I, like I, I do like the, vi- the villain performance, you know. I like how Connery's kind of seems to be giving a shit after um, the Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, but I, I, I kind of know what Becca is saying when it just doesn't feel like a bomb film. It's like a bomb film, but it's just missing the mark, you know, so to speak. It feels more, more much like... Um, what's the right way? It kind of feels like it like it tries too hard when it blatantly isn't, you know. It's... It's trying to pull the wall into your eyes, saying, "Look, we're a bomb film. We're a bomb film." When you're not really a bomb film, you're just trying to be a bomb film. Um, really, really bad. But you know, that said, it flows fine. I, I have no problem watching it. It's, um, it's a decent. It's a decent watch with uh, with a good, as Becca just uh, mentioned before. It's got a good filmness in the in the role as well. In the book, in the form of Vassima Bush. So, uh, yeah. My number 23 is Never Say Never Again. I can't really argue with that. I mean, obviously, by default, I've been left with Never Say Never Again in the highest position of the three of us. But we've all done our bottom threes now, and I I, I don't think any of us have got any real shockers in there. The closest closest is is Octopussy, because I don't think many people would put it bottom three. But frankly, I was quite surprised that you you ranked it higher, to be honest. Well, we're not not looking at a Hall of Fame with any of these films. Definitely not. So, uh, right, so we're moving on to what, number 22? A lot of people are going to lynch me, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it anyway. Um, my number 22 is Quantum of Solace. I don't I don't think many people would. I think a lot of people would would kind of like agree with you. I that. think Chris and I are actually the people that they'll go, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what the bloody hell? <laughs> yeah, it's just... Meh. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> Try argue with that. <laughs> well, <laughs> allow me to retort. <laughs> nah. No, it's just, it's kind of like... Okay, so when I went to see this film upon release, left the cinema, I'm thinking, I think I enjoyed that. I'm not too sure. And then obviously rewatched it again, um, you know, through the years. And I was like, oh, actually, no, yeah, this is better, this is better. You know, I enjoyed a little, this a little bit more. Um, I appreciate the plotting a bit more, but it's still just, it's a bit meh. It's kind of like the difficult, like, like you know, third album or like middle child. It's just like, oh, you know. 
a bit mad, how I describe it. Even though it has really sharp action scenes, um, and it's it's the shortest of all the movies, which just goes to show you know how good the editing really is. Um, but it's just it, it doesn't really tick all these boxes for me, um, and it leaves a lot to be desired. But anyhow, that's it's at my twenty-two position. My number 22 is the worst film in the series, objectively speaking. But again, I'm trying to balance it with enjoyment. And at this point in the chart, none of them are particularly enjoyable. Um, But I don't fall asleep during this film. I think everyone is trying their best. I think it's just wrong-headed. So it's the worst film in the series, but there are three films I enjoy less. So... I'm not going to say a lot about it because I ranted twice in two different episodes. My number 22 is Die Another Day. Yeah, it's... Um... That's too high for me, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but it's got a bit of a nosebleed being that high. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, I mean... The, the, <laughs> the slap from Chris. <laughs> one, of the things, one of the things you could say about it is never boring. No, it isn't. It's always fun. That, that's exactly the point. It, it, no one is going to pretend it's a good film, Chris. Even if Chris puts it at number two, um, <laughs> it certainly is a number two. But the fact, but the fact that everything objectively about the film is worse than almost any other element of any other Bond film. Um, but it whips along okay, so it's wrong-headed but it's very committed in its wrong-headedness. And in a strange kind of way, I respect that over and above Octopussy, for example, which is objectively a far better film, but you're making a lazy film with an elderly man and diamonds are forever where you're trying to recapture what you did years before, but it's not there anymore. Everyone aside from Brosnan, who's a little bit too old here is kind of at the top of their game. It's just that the game they're playing is rubbish. So, yeah, Die Another Day is my number 22. What about you, Chris? Okay, my number 22, and again, I've kind of put uh, my previous 23 even further now. Uh, but it's uh, it's uh, Octopussy. I just think all I would say before you defend the choice, Chris, is um, that surprises me because you defended it quite strongly against me yeah. in review. Yeah, yeah, that surprised me a little bit as well, actually. And I, I, I go back to what, ha- what, what I said about like you know, it's it, it sound it, it's, it does sound pretty bad, but I, you know, every one of these films I still kind of enjoy. I do still enjoy going back and watching this, uh, and I still get a kick out. But I understand with what you mean in terms of it's it's baggy, it's a bit naff, it's a bit ill judged. You know, Roger Moore's way too old in, in the role. But there's there's just what what I like are like certain moments, certain set pieces, certain scenes that I that I attach myself to. But as a film, it's a bit all over the place. Uh, so when it comes to like the bottom end of the bomb films, I kind of have to go with like flow, consistency, and enjoyment. Uh, and so that's it, again. It's like Golden Gun. I kind of didn't really want to. Uh, put it as low as it low as it is but by default it's there uh so um number 21 uh, becca oh dear i have one never dies so yeah shoot him up bond pretty much um it's, it's fine as an action movie as a bond film perhaps not so much um so it's the first one that i saw at the cinema um so was, I so, thought that would give it some goodwill, actually. Yeah. I thought it would be a little bit higher on that basis. No, it doesn't. 
Uh, yeah, no, it, it surprises me actually. I kind of thought, oh, maybe I thought I'd rank it higher. Um, but no, <laughs> it's a kind of it's just you know typical '90s shoot 'em up Bond movie. Um, and there, there are kind of uh, you know so other earlier films that I would rank above it, which I'm going to do. Um, but yeah, so that's, yeah, that's my number one, number twenty-one spot. Um, sadly, not even the great John Price could save it. Mm. The great John Price. <laughs> okay, we'll talk more about that when I get to where yeah. I ranked it. <laughs> my number twenty-one is the last. I think bad film in the series. I think where, regardless of whether you enjoy it or not, on an objective level, there isn't very much to recommend it. A lot of people defend it on the basis of the villain. And I think if you take the name of the actor playing the villain, you're probably right. But in terms of the way he's used and the deployment of him, very weak. We've now got a very elderly man in the role. We've got one of the worst Bond um uh, girls in the entire series we've got a henchman that's very mom I, I can't stand her um, it's rescued from being in the bottom two or three by a wonderful score some wonderful cinematography and whilst I don't think it's Christopher Walken's best performance and he is in the negative column in some respects he's better than some of the things below him so my number 21 um, surprisingly only the third worst Roger Moore film <laughs> on my list. Only. But it does tell you three of the bottom five are Roger Moore. My number 21 is A View to a Kill. And taking that van, that is also my number 21 as well. And I absolutely agree with um, everything that Dave said. Um, I think it, originally it was a bit lower because, I, because I, I, was, I was considering it in terms of like evenly paced. It's like it, it, it was a bit boring last time I watched it though you know the the title sequence is just like so naff what the fuck I, I think it just wasn't as fun as i remember it being but when dave when i've watched it recently and um, when dave mentioned the score i was like you know what it is one of john barry's better fil- like um i say better as if it's like you know he doesn't do that great it, you know it, it's one of my favorite john barry scores uh for the bond series and it i think it carries it through i think there's a certain element of what the fuck uh, you know, it's like you know, it's, it's it's a little bit of like Roger Moore versus Christopher Walken. That is like a juxtaposition of like, uh, okay, and it's it still carries through. Uh, I, 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 you know, it it is it isn't a good film by any stretch of the mark, but you know, what the hey, if it's on TV, you know, I'm happily just to bang it on and watch it. It's you know, it 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 runs okay, you know. And of course, you can't understate it. We joke about it. We we've had a lot of laughs about it, but the camaraderie between those two is a real plus point. I mean, it's not much of the film, so I don't want to overstate it. All joking aside, but the fact is, they have really good camaraderie. They make a really good it's, double act, don't they? It's one of the things that puts it over Octopussy for me. I mean, there's lots of things that put it over Octopussy, but one of them is Bond's sidekick in Octopussy is decades younger than him, not an actor, really self-conscious. Lots of silly tennis jokes. The guy who's his sidekick in this film is the same generation of him. They're five or six as, as him. They're five or six years apart in age, and they have a natural and easy camaraderie, and it does um, boost the film. It's, it's more believable than um, VJ Armitage, isn't it, I think? Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, the uh, the iconic uh, henchman is a big run from EastEnders, is that right? Exactly. <laughs> <Not> a big <laughs> one. <laughs> 
Yeah, that, that's the hardest guy you want to put up against Roger Moore at that point. It, so, is yeah, it, 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 if you didn't know you were in a Bond movie, it's, it's not a good film, and I'm sorry to sort of damn it with faint praise, but like 21 out of a 25 film series, given its reputation, isn't actually too bad. It's not too bad. Anyway, so um, now we get to number 20. Becca, what's your number 20? Yeah, we got Piss Brosnan again in The World Is Not Enough. That's yes. the, yeah, I think you're in line with popular opinion, but I think Chris and I are both like, what? Come on. <laughs> right. Mine's kind of more like populist, but then explain the middle... yourself, woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, well, it's kind of these difficult, like the middling, like the middling ones. I call. Well, it's um, not middling if it's twentieth out of twenty-five. Well, well, no, I'm just saying like the middling ones are kind of uh, the, how do they say like eleven to fifteen or whatever. Um, they're quite easy to explain because you know it's kind of like obviously bits you like, bits you don't like. Um, but these kind of ones, as you're kind of getting out out of the doldrums and everything, you just think, really. I mean, it's it's um it's it's too long for me. I think even like the obviously it's got the the longest um pre-title sequence, which is probably one of the best pre-title sequences we've ever had in, in the whole entire series. Um, it, for the whole like thirteen fourteen minutes, you grip from start to end. And then after kind of like probably about the halfway point of the film it starts to fall apart um and christmas jones jesus christ just i think it's like three bad bond three really awful bond people so like uh tiffany case and bloody stacy um, I, I can see why christmas jones would kind of like send it yeah you, know, you know her presence alone does like take it down a ranking a notch doesn't it a little bit when you think about it uh, uh, daniel craig was um nominated for Best Actor at the BAFTAs the year Casino Royale came out. And I think Casino Royale was nominated for Best British Film. I can't remember exactly. If this film had been nominated for any top film awards, we'd have all laughed our asses off. They weren't kind of taken very seriously in this era. Admittedly. No, it was... yeah. I think maybe, maybe for sort of some technical ones. I think maybe some like sound or... In all of the Bond films, yeah. But in terms of it's no, it's not kind of like classical filmmaking by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I mean, I, I, plot wise, plot wise, it's fine. Um, I do think that, um, yeah, I do think Robert Carlyle phones it in a little bit. Um, but and again, he's not really main main, main villain. Yeah, I, I don't think he gets enough to do really. I think that, that's no, the only problem. It works. It really works against him. Um, but I must say. Obviously, you know, it's, it's got the best twists in the Bond series. And, you know, it's really Sophie Marceau who puts in a, um, a brilliant turn. And, it, and it's shocking when Bond kills her in cold blood. It's one of the, you know, few few moments where you think, oh, my God, Brosnan's actually lethal. Um, but, yeah, it does. It's, I enjoyed it, but it's not like a, a great Bond movie. Um, and, you know, and that's why it's at my number 20 spot. Okay. All right. Uh, Dave, what's your number 20? Uh, my number 20 is Never Say Never Again. I won't say too much about it because, again, I think it's one of those things I said everything we need I needed to say about at the time. It isn't a proper Bond film. It is um, very flawed. It, 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 you can tell it's a script made up on the fly, but it looks kind of nice, and it's got one of Sean Connery's better performances, and I didn't recognise that until this time. I'm not bored by it until the final quarter of the film. Uh, Yeah, it isn't a proper Bond film, but the bottom five are all films I don't like very much. Not as much as, say, the bottom three, but, yeah, there are problems with with all of them. 
this is deeply flawed, but I don't hate it. So my number 20 is Never Say Never Again. Okay, well, my number 20, you'll be all pleased to hear, is a tie another day. That's too high, Chris. That's too high. I'm you... Because the way you were saying it, it's got no right to be that high. I genuinely <laughs> thought that was the one that was in the top 10. Was that <laughs> I bet, yeah, I bet you're all relieved to go like, oh, for God's sake. Like... <laughs> well, you put it where you want to put it, but to be fair, you've only put it two places below me, so... Well, yeah, I mean, look, it is... Uh, I can't disagree with you guys uh, too much, and I, 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 I generally agree, but when I, when I looked at the list, I kind of have to go with with what I think what Dave's already acknowledged. It flows really well. I can stick it any time. And I'll be honest, I, I kind of almost went with my gut and my heart a little bit because when I when I'm when I'm looking at when I'm doing these lists, I go with kind of like what the uh, status quo is, what the sort of like is it a better film like critically, and just kind of like what my heart sings like what do I literally just rather just put on a watch, um, and I and to be honest, I don't really have a ever have a bad time with dying of a day, you know. It's flawed, it's shit, bad CGI, bad everything else, but you know what? Fuck, I, I enjoy the fuck out of it, so it's it's number 20. There you are. Fair enough, fair enough. So yeah, that's my justification, it's like, fuck. We're inside the top 20 now, we're getting nosebleeds. Nosebleeds. <laughs> 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 we're getting to the real quality. <laughs> yeah. We'll save that for number 10 and upwards, I think. Right, so Becca, what's your number 19? Oh dear. Um, yeah, my number 19 is A View to a Kill. I think we've pretty much said all we said we want to say about it already. Um, I think, yeah, the, the Dream Team kind of elevate it a bit higher than, than yourselves, Dave, for example. Um, I love Christopher Walken in it as, as the highlight of the movie. Yes, Roger's too old, and even, you know, he himself admitted that he was too old. Um, and I just... I, I can't express how useless Stacey is. Oh my god. I just... Yeah, she looks good, but she's good news. James, <laughs> shut up. <stop. laughs> um, Plot-wise, I think it's it's incredible. San Francisco looks amazing. Beautiful cinematography. Um, some action scenes are a bit ridiculous. Beautiful score. Uh, it's one of my it's one of my favourite Barry scores actually. Um, I love the kind of more um, the sort of, when you arrive in San Francisco. It's kind of quite relaxing to listen to because it's got a mix of kind of like strings. Um, it's just nice to put on and, and have a nice bath to or something like that. It's quite relaxing to listen to. But I just think that Rogers. Age just kind of brings it down for me a little bit. He's, he's, he's too old by this point, and that kind of spoils it, to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it. It's my number 19 spot. My number 19 went um, the only time I've ever... This is one of the biggest drops this time. Because I always thought, by definition, this film belongs somewhere in the middle, because it's so by numbers. But the fact is, most of the things ahead of it have are either better films, or they have something iconic about them. And whilst there's one sequence in this film that people tend to remember, it's so fucking bland. It tries to pull emotional um, heartstrings with us, but fails, largely because they cast a fucking terrible secondary Bond girl. I know Becca might disagree with me, but I honestly think it's one of the worst villains in the entire series. And whilst it's slightly elevated by a better lead Bond performance than than his first attempt... It's not a bad film, and that it's only in the flawed because it is so bland. My number nineteen is Tomorrow Never Dies. My number nineteen is Moonraker, and it's funny that 
Moonraker is comes just after Dying of a Day because I've always said Dying of a Day is basically the, the new version of Moonraker in terms of like it's so batshit crazy. You know what the fuck were they thinking? But when you actually watch Moonraker, what well, I think puts it. It's nowhere near as daft as Dying of a No, day. it's not. It's actually pretty straight. It's only when they, literally like in the last um, set piece when they actually go to space is when it goes like, a little bit. Okay. From scene to scene. I mean, if you pick the highlights up, yes, he went to space. Mm. And yes, there's a double taken pigeon. But from, <laughs> but from scene to scene, I mean, you, you can switch on any part of Die Another Day and go, what the fuck? Yeah. What's going on? Um, you can't really do that with Moonraker. It's, it's not that bad. Yeah. To be it, fair, it was a product of its time as well. I mean, you've got like Star Wars and other kind of you know, movies themed around that as well. So it's a real product of its time. Yeah. I think. But you know, I like I like Roger, uh, and I'm looking at the film ahead of it, thinking I should have put it below. But um, but I've, I've, I've <laughs> said it, I've said it now, so I've I've committed. But uh, yeah, I, you know, it's you know, it it isn't as bad as it reputation was it. So it's my number nineteen. What's everyone's eighteen? I'll go first on this, just to follow up from you, because my number eighteen is Moonbreaker. I, I I kind of I I said when we talked about this very recently, you know, pleasant surprises in the series. And I named Moonraker, and so it would be very easy to look at it and go, well, pleasant surprise, and you still stuck it in the bottom-like quarter. <laughs> oh. um, well, just above the bottom quarter. Well, yeah, it's not a very good film, but Moonraker tends to have to fight its way out of the bottom one or two with most people. It's normally down there with, like, A View to a Kill and Die Another Day, and maybe Never Say Never Again if you were going to count it. They are the ones that traditionally fight out the bottom slot. And the fact is, we're going to get to its stable mate very soon, for me anyway. A, a film that's ranked as one of the classics of the series, Moonraker's not bad at all. It's got one of the best M sequences in the entire film. It's got some of the most... Someone warned me at the outset of this series, they said Moonraker's beautiful. And they're right, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's lovely to look at. Venice is in a lot of films in this series, and it's never been shot more attractively than in this film. It's got a good villain. It's got it's got a very good villain, and again, you watch it as a kid, he looks really bland. You watch him as an adult, he's very good. He's the best yes. lines in the whole series, I think. Best Jaws Jaws isn't as good as he was in the first film because he's played good and a bit sillier and all the rest of it. Having said that, he's quite vampiric in that sort of um, parade uh, yeah. yeah. Um there's some lovely stuff in Rio. I think Roger looks better than he did in the last couple of films, despite the fact that he's aging. It's not a good film. Let's not pretend it is, but it's gorgeous to look at. It's got a beautiful score, and it's nowhere, nowhere near as bad as its reputation. So I'm actually, whilst it sounds like damning with faint praise, because it's still 18th, I'm quite pleased to be able to put Moonraker this high. There are seven films below it. So at number 18 for me is Moonraker. Number 18, it's... Scaramanga himself, The Man with the Golden Gun, is at my number 18 spot, even though he's not in it for very long. Um, the film's about it, about him, but we don't see him until the latter part of the film. He, he does have a very powerful weapon. He does, but he then he charges a million a shot, you see. It's a very expensive man. Um, <laughs> raise my eyebrow there. Again, um, I will knock one out for a fiver if anyone's interested. <laughs> <laughs> at the other end of the pay scale, it's Dave. Um, no, I think yeah, just by being in this film, I mean, it is... Conversely to, um, to what you might think, they were, um, some of the locations do. I think they, they're really stunning. Um, as to you know, 
Thailand, the James Bond Island is kind of one of my places, you know, top five in, you know, to visit in the world. Oh, I'd um, love to go there, Becca. Don't don't get me wrong on their choice of locations. I just think they've made quite a flat-looking film out of such beautiful places. Sure, definitely. Um, Lily's score, I think, is, is great fun. It's, it's a bit cheesy, um, sort of very camped up. It's got some great sort of cheesy guitar in there. Um, but it's, it's good fun. You know, it's, it's, um doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, but yeah, Christopher Lee elevates it purely by his presence. Um, he's just one of the greatest human beings who ever lived, I think, to be honest. His military career, his acting career. I, I will argue against, and I didn't say it when I, when, I gave, when I gave it my official ranking before, but it does have one, again, one of the worst Bond girls in the series. You know, she's the most useless, annoying, uh, and, 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 and kind of, and kind of, Offensive, really. You know, if you, you, you want to like, in terms, in terms of sexual politics, she's she's kind of very like, you know, it's embarrassing. Yeah, it's, it is a little bit embarrassing. Uh, and the other thing is, and it doesn't reflect well on why well, I say the producers, Harry Saltzman. Harry Saltzman had seen her in um, the Wicker Man and hired her. And of course, there's two things about the Wicker Man. Firstly, she was pregnant when she shot it, so even her breasts in it are swollen by that but when you see her from the rear in the wicker man it's a body double so i think he, so he hired brit eckland on the fact that he thought she was gorgeous and had a wonderful body and she was dubbed as well and she turned up a lot slimmer than he was expecting and a lot more athletic as a build and he was like pissed off with it and i just think the whole casting of brit eckland is is not a great reflection on our gender, Chris. No, I think she was like grossly underused for that reason as well. As if you kind of thought, oh, this isn't what I ordered, you know, and thought, right, okay. (laughs) I don't mean that in a horrible way. The the, the whole end of the film is her bending over. Pressing buttons with her bum. It's pissed (laughs) off. She's and, not good. And, and Roger just tr- just treats her like it's just a like, annoying thing. It's like, oh, good night. Yeah, he <sighs> treats her like a slow child. I said that during the review that uh, the Roger Moore era doesn't treat the women well. It's the seventies. It's like prior to Women's Lib, but it's, it's like it's similar to like um, Tim Dalton and, and, and Cara, Miriam uh, Dabo. It's kind of you know just there to be to be annoyed. But I just kind of think I mean, cause it starts off, you know, with her kind of well, try, trying to be strong. And not sort of reject his advances, but be like, oh, okay, you know, I'm an independent woman, rah, rah, rah. Um, and then he just, you know, capitulates entirely. And she's like, oh, what the bloody hell? Um, but you know, she's glamorous all the same. Um, that's you know, memorable villain. I think Netflix, as I say, my very memorable, great locations. Um, I quite like the score, but everything else is just ridiculous. And it's kind of with this agitator. It's like plot du jour. I mean, it was a sort of, you know, energy crisis was very real in the 70s. Yeah, this, this is one of... I mean, the previous, the previous film was pretty bad because of black exploitation, but this is the sure. series where you just think, cramming, what does the thing of the day... What do you put at 18, Chris? Um, Spectre. Uh, I'll be the first to go put Spectre at number 18. Um, it, it's, it's a very good-looking film, you know. Craig is always good as Bond. I, you know, I, I, like, I like the cast, though. You know, I think the first two thirds of the film are run perfectly fine. Um, you know, I think it's very enjoyable. It's got a good henchman, which I think is potentially wasted. Um, it's got a good Bond girl, even though they wasted the potential there in terms of building up the the love story. Um, but I think as a character and the, and the actress they chose was was good was good, relatively speaking. Uh, I've I think the scores are pretty nice. Um, 
I think you know it's it's very easy watching. It's but it's you know it. But what lets it down is it's just quite unremarkable. And for God's sake, that old blooming Blofeld thing! <laughs> oh my God! Worst um, twist in movie history. Oh Jesus! Well, yeah. Until we get to Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> oh know. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but no. Um, yeah. No. It's uh, it's it's pretty bog standard. Um, really, uh, Spectre, and what makes it even worse, you know, I'm, I'm sounding like it's, you know, like, bottom fiver, but no, um, but, but what, what lets it down is that stupid plot twist, just like, might, might just not bother with Blofeld at all, or just stick with guns and have him Blofeld from, from the start, and not have him be his fucking foster brother from years ago, who thought he was dead, because, you know, you know, th- did they see gold member? You know, seriously. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's my uh, that's my number eighteen, Spectre. So okay. with that, um, what's everyone's number seventeen? I'm looking at my seventeen. Going, <laughs> oh, this is going to piss people off. Fuck on. Oh no. <laughs> Are you getting it already? No, 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 no. I'm I'm sticking my guns in this. I'm 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 gleefully looking at number seventeen, thinking. So what have What have you put there, Becca? I got octopus at number seventeen. It will surprise people. <gasps> no, not really. Um, Why would it surprise people? <laughs> it, it, what should it be? Fucking sick? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just thought obviously you know, Davy famously hated it so much. Um, oh, I don't. I don't. I think <laughs> objectively, it probably belongs somewhere around where you're putting it. But the fact is, it's a bottom quarter or so Bond film. Oh, exactly. People who say you know, people who defend it tend to sort of go, "Oh, it's underrated," which is damning with faint praise. They're trying to say, well, I like Roger Moore, therefore, and trying to say some nice things about it. The fact is, it's an old man in a very safe film. It's like it's like when I tried to defend it and with you, Dave, and go, oh, come on, it's not that bad. Exactly. But it's not that bad doesn't put it up with From Russia With Love, does it? <laughs> no. The fact is, it's an old man twatting around with Tarzan yeah. and tennis jokes. It's crap. <laughs> It, try, it tries to be, it tries to be like um. Well, it's basically well, like few eyes only. I really, really is. It's kind of like a, you know, post era. Well, except, except one's quite good. Except one's better, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of part adventure movie, part like Cold War, um, sort of spy thriller, really. Um, part old man on the left. Part, part old man, pissing around Europe, <laughs> and going to India. No, it's um, I, I enjoy it. So I, I didn't hate it quite as much as you. Um, there's, there's good bits to be had. Um. No, it's a, it's a suave off, Nobody hates between... it as much as me because, to be honest, if it was just favourites, it would have gone bottom. Yeah, I, it only stayed off the bottom because I cannot objectively put it below diamonds. I can. They, you know, it has the set pieces. It has positive things about it. It's not all bad, but I just don't enjoy it. I think it's really fucking boring for a start. I think there's plenty of fun times to be had. Um... But yeah, as I was saying, it's, it's basically a good old swerve off between Louis Jordan and, and Rog. Um, as to who, who can look most stylish and who can out swerve each other. I, I enjoy um, the Knife Twins. Yeah, they're really good, aren't they? Mitchell and Grishka. Um, they're quite entertaining to watch. And we've got the plot with the Fabergé as well. Um, and the references to the, the original Fleming novel. I think it's really nice. Um, but it's just what happens when they, you know, it's, it's kind of all the warning signs of when you try to stretch, basically when you try to stretch like a short story out to a two hour long film. This is how not to do it. But anyway, so yeah, that's what's at number 17 for me. Uh, my number 17 is 
I think a fairly controversial one in that I know people who really love this film. Um, but again, we've just done a Lewis Goupert film. We're get, we've just done his last one. going to put his first one next. Uh, at number 17 for me, as you only live twice. Oh, wow. That's uh, pretty... Uh... Uh, well, I don't necessarily... I don't necessarily think it's that bad, and I had a reasonable time with it. I can't justify putting it ahead of much that's ahead of it. You can argue over one or two of them, that's fine. And I'm sure there are, well, even two or three that you'd go, well, surely it's better than that, surely it's better than that. But the majority of them that are ahead of them, sorry, the majority of films that are ahead of this one have a bond in better shape, and, and Sean Connery's weight bothered me more than either of you in this. And I'm not suggesting he was massively obese at all, but this is the same guy that we had just watched four weeks of, where he just moved like a panther. I mean, he just had such a wonderful build and movement and everything. And he turns up for this film out of shape, and it's all got a bit sillier. Um, Bond is suddenly starting to go down this road that you get with Roger Moore of knowing everything about everything. They, for the first time in my rankings, although not the not the certainly not the last time in the series, they cram in a Bond girl just so he's got someone to shag at the end of the film. And I just think it's all starting to look frayed around the edges. If you take the series in order, it's the first time they realise. They've got a working formula, which was finalised with Thunderball. They hand it to Roald Dahl, and he kind of messes it up a little bit. And Connery is just starting to look frayed around the edges. And so this film, for the first time in the series, looks a little bit tired. So it's not bad, but I can't put it any higher. You only live twice at number 17. Chris, what about you? Well, uh, controversial. So, um, both of you guys have named uh, a Brosnan film, um, and it's the same one. Uh, I'm going to go for a different one. It's going to be a very controversial one. Now, the, um, it, you know, I've, I've... We haven't named the same one. Get, uh, uh, Becca's named two of them. Oh, so yes, that's right. Yes, that's that's right. Um, yeah, I'm, I've gone for, you know, again, I wasn't expecting to put it... As a, a, it's kind of surprised me when I thought about it, but... As my oh no no I've not die another day of course Jesus Christ no take that back no it's my second Brosnan <laughs> get on with it get on with it uh, it's uh, Goldeneye that will oh, that will nice. piss people off because it's such a fan favorite it is and I'm you shocked, know and you, you know why it's fan favorite because it's very safe and generic thank you that is exactly my view of that film it is the most safety first easy fucking bollocks you can imagine. <laughs> I mean, look, it's 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 very nice. To, you know, it has some few nice set pieces. I I like the cast. I just think it for for what it is, it it's not that satisfying. If it, if it didn't follow um, a six year gap, if this yeah. was just, I don't know, if this had been, if this had been, let's say Dalton in ninety one, yeah, we wouldn't feel the same way about it at all. We wouldn't know. I, I just think it is just so nothing as a film. But we'll talk about it more with my rankings when, when we get there, because I've got it a lot higher. But I kind of feel like I, I'm trying to balance quality and preference. And I've I've ranked it kind of on what I perceive to be quality and, more importantly, importance. Mm. On preference, it would be closer to where you are, because I just think it is the most wildly overrated film. 
I ranked it a lot higher myself as well, but I just think in mm. terms of in terms of cultural importance, it's like, you know, the first Bond film after, well, following the six year break, and yeah. but no, we'll we'll get there when I come to it anyway. So yeah, so uh, Goldeneye, yeah, Goldeneye's my number seventeen. Yeah, as I say, it's just it's just very by numbers, generic. Has a few nice touches. I like I like the the casting majority of the time. Um, it's a nostalgia trick. For yeah, um, but it just feels like i you know it feels very handsome i like the style direction but i just wish they had had more i, to I it. kind of think if all the bond films looked the same let, let's say they all starred sean connery and all had like i don't know 1964 1965 style to mm. it and you made the necessary little adjustments to the script to make it work um, i know it's not possible in reality because golden is, is inherently a very 90s bond film but if you could do that and you played all the films and you, you you stripped away a lot of the stylistic elements and just got left with the plot, GoldenEye is nothing special. I just thought, I, ultimately, when I came down to it, when I thought about Pierce Brosnan, if Pierce Brosnan Bond film that I'd rather watch, there, there's two I'd definitely consider watching before I consider watching GoldenEye. And that's, yeah. so that, hence that's why it is, there, it is a, it is lower than those two. So, uh, yes. Um, so, we're on to number 16. Um, shall I go first? Because uh, yeah, why not? I, yeah, I, I, I will just go simply on the, on the count that, you know, I prefer watching this film than Gun Goldeneye. It is Tomorrow Never Dies. I know it's uh, featured lower uh, than you guys, but, you know, I, I, I understand what you're saying. And to... Um, no, I mean, hang on a minute. I've got it at 19. You've got it at 16. 16, Beck has yeah. got it, 21. And they're in the same universe. None yeah. of us are raving about this film, are we? No, I maybe my mind thought it was a bit lower. But anyway. Um, it's but, good, good fun to watch, but it's not a classic by any stretch of the imagination. I basically, think, I so. just think, you know, I, I, in terms of, it is generic by numbers, but it's fast-moving, entertaining, lots of action. Gets what get, it, It's more satisfying as a Bond adventure, even if it is kept very paint-by-numbers. A soulless kind of job. The uh, car chase is amazing. The remote control car. That's fantastic. Um, and actually, that's probably my least favorite action scene in it. But um, you know, but I, but I, I think Brosnan is. <laughs> I think Brosnan is better at it. I enjoy the hamminess of, uh, of of the villain. Uh, I know. I know he's <laughs> like revived as like not being good, very good. But I just enjoy him being. He just, it. He hands it all up. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I just, I just get. I'm also the, uh, the ever the scene with Doctor Kaufman. You know, is always worth it. So, uh, from Shutgard, it, 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 it is not. It is not an unenjoyable film. Yeah. So uh, that is my oh, number yeah. six. That is my number sixteen. Tomorrow Never Dies. Dave, what do you reckon? Um, well, actually, I, I ended up putting the Lewis Gilbert films all in a row, oh. and and it wasn't deliberate. And again, I'm aware I've got a few in quote unquote the wrong place in terms of where public opinion is, but I cannot justify putting it ahead of much that is ahead of it. At most, I could put it two places higher, but even that would be a stretch. I think, arguably, the most overrated film in the series, The Spy Who Loved Me, is at number 16. It's two places away from Moonraker. I put it ahead of Moonraker and You Only Live Twice, because it has probably the best pre-title in the series. It has one of the best... Um, theme songs in the series and I like the title sequence that goes with it when it's good 
it's better than You Only Live Twice. It's better than Moonraker. Neither of those have that sort of first 45 minutes this film has. It has an iconic um, henchman at his peak, which he isn't quite in Moonraker for different reasons. Um, but it falls apart, and it's the most tonally confused film in the series in that it's goofy as fuck in places, and then the last 45 minutes is completely humorless. So... I can see why it's iconic. It's got that big jump at the end. It's got James, I need you. So does England. It's got tell him to pull out <laughs> immediately. There are things in this film I love. They've put they've put um, a Bond girl next to him who's a shit actress, but a great idea as a as a character. Um, but the people who put the spy who loved me like in the top five, I don't know what you're watching, or I think you've watched the first ten minutes then switched it off because after after ten minutes. It's one of the best films in the series. I mean, it has such a wonderful pre-title, but it's got an overrate Roger Moore who's better two years later. He's better in Moonraker. He is. Take away what you think of the films and just look at him. He's in better shape in Moonraker and he's dialed it back a little bit. Um, this film has, uh, yes, it has the underwater um, lotus. It's got things about it I like, but it is so much less than the sum of its parts. And as such, I can't put it any higher. Number sixteen, the spy who loved me. That that what? Do you reckon that'll piss more people off than uh, gold, me putting Golden Eye in? <laughs> I think it's a wash, to be honest with you. I don't think there'll be people here who are going to be like, what? No, I think our genera- our generation are more into Golden Eye, so I think it'll piss them off. But any classic Bond film fans like listening, you know, <laughs> our, our older people listening to this will be, are oh, you fucking yeah. having that? Yeah, we like to piss off everybody. <laughs> yeah, I can only give my opinion. The Spy Who Loved Me is not bad, but it frustrates me because there's one more film that I'm going to get to that frustrates me more, but it pisses away a perfect. Uh, it shows us that that it shows us that the sort of more frivolous Bond film, the more frivolous tone, can be done, and then it fucks it up. Jaws drops the breeze block on his foot, and the film dies. I, I don't like the film after that. And then it goes into this shitty sequence on the... Um, uh, oh. Yeah, at the end of it. That is just poor, and it just goes on forever. So, iconically, it can't go too much lower because it's got so many things you point to that is quintessentially Bond. But it, it's boring and tonally confused. I did wonder, because I did watch it recently, and it suddenly hit me that Barbara Back, you know, she threw away her, like, a really dreary uh, line delivery. I, I, I suddenly realised that her di- her dialogue must have been recorded, like, separately on a sound on the soundstage. Like, they must have, like, shot all the lines. So I wonder what her dialogue would have been better had it been done within the scene. I mean, I don't know much of Barbara Back's work, but... I don't know, because, you know, you watch any... Most action films these days, and certainly any Star Wars films, I mean, literally, you watch the actors move their lips, and the sound is not them at the time. It's all ADR. So, I I don't know, but I I don't hate this film, and as I say, if you rank the first ten minutes, this and Skyfall suddenly shoot up the charts, but it pisses away so much... um, so much goodwill and they don't know when to stop you know the silly clown music and roger moore overacts terribly in this film um but there are positives to it but yeah i can't put it any higher what about you becca 
16. Um, number 16, sweet 16, I have Moonraker. Okay. That's my number 16 spot. Um, all got it pretty close, 19, 18, and 16. They're fairly similar. I think they're gonna be, there's going to be sort of, like a, apart from a few clangers here and there, yeah. um, they're going to be kind of like very similar, similar, I think, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Um, which is to be expected. We're all of the same sort of, a few, few years between us, but we're all the same generation and, you know, being as big fans as we are. I think we um, all don't think it's as bad as its reputation, though. No, with Miracle especially, I mean, just it just looks looks amazing. Um, obviously, when they get into space, it's silliness on a galactic scale. Um, lasers in space, what? You know, <laughs> what's all that about? Um, but I just, you know, it's, Roger, it has a good time. Um, Holy Goodhead, meh, not too sure. Um, the Ed Jaws is probably less threatening, and it's kind of it does have a rather kind of silly, um, you know, bit of a silly um, action sequence in the in the pre-title scene there. Um, but no, I enjoy it. It's, it's fun to watch, um, but it's very much a product of its time, as I said before, um, in terms of like Star Wars and those kind of space theme movies coming out at the time as well. Um, it's just an attempt to um, for Bond to capitalise on um, what you know what was what was the thing du jour basically. Um, but yeah, it's my number sixteen spot. So uh, on to number fifteen, uh, guys. What's your favourite? Uh, what's uh, number fifteen on the list? <laughs> Go on, Dave. Okay, Quantum of Solace is at number fifteen. <laughs> I. Um... I kind of, if it had some more iconic elements to it, it might even have gone higher. There's a great film in this, but let's not exaggerate. It had a writer's strike. It had horrible editing. It had uh, one of David Arnold's weaker scores. It had uh, a director who I don't think was well suited to the, 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 the series. It had a Bond girl sort of crammed in because there needs to be a woman there somewhere, but who cares? Her box um, exercise. It has... Um, At least it didn't fuck her at the end, that's enough. Yeah, I don't care either way. I mean, no, it, I, I, I don't necessarily want women lined up for him to fuck, but at the same time, if he's not going to, why are they there? But it's got Daniel Craig at its peak. I think increasingly over the years, it's feels more of a piece, particularly as the subsequent films moved away. It feels more of a piece with Casino Royale than it did at the time. I think as you watch it again and again and stop worrying about the editing because you know what happens in a scene, so you're not watching every single cut in the same way. When you focus on the story, it's got big problems, but it's okay. This is in a section of Bond films in my rankings that are deeply flawed, but I've never had a bad time with it. I don't think it's got some of the campy problems that the Lewis Gilbert films below them have. It doesn't have the iconic elements they have, but it's got a far, far better bond than Roger Moore. It's got a far, far better bond than late-era Sean Connery. Um, It's a beautiful-looking film, and it tries to do something different, and you will always win points with me for experimentation even if that experimentation goes wrong. So it's a film that has to be this low because it's it was a failed experiment, but fair play for trying. One of the best James Bonds in a decent effort, Quantum of Solace at 15. Rebecca? Uh, 15, I'm following on behind. Um, my spot is only lived twice. I think, obviously, where I put um, Diamonds solo is purely because Connery was phoning it in. I think here is kind of you know his his heart's a little bit in it more, but he's kind of he's starting to kind of phone it in. He's kind of on that sliding, on a slippery slope there. 
I, I love this film purely because Bong goes to Japan. Um, and over the last couple of years, I sort of like you know quite interested into it, in its culture and its history and its language and things like that. And it's just one of my top places that I want to visit. Thanks to Bond, very exciting. Um, girls are a bit useless. Um, plot is a bit crazy, but um, it's got the most decent Blofeld in it, apart from um, Teddy Savalas. One Savalis. of the most. Yeah. One of the most. Oh, the Teddy Savalas and Donna Pleasance. Um, whereas the other two very useless. Yeah, I mean the plot is like it's typical. It's been you know if, if you're going to parody Bond, you've got to do this plot. You know, launching a missile from inside a hollowed up volcano layer, mm-hmm. which is like the most classic Bond plots of all time. <laughs> Um, but just purely because of Connery and his performance is kind of waning a little bit. Um, it's at my um, number 15 spot. Okay. Um, I'm going to piss off fans even more now. <laughs> <laughs> you go for it. You owe um, it. Okay, the, my number 15 is a, is a Bond film that is... I'm, you know, I can't lie, it is a very well-made film. It, I've paced, I've already pasted what I think you're going to say into the cell. Oh, yeah. because I'm I'm putting them in on Excel as we go, just so we can refer back if necessary. Yeah, I've I'm already guessed well. it's fifteen. I'm always I'm going to see what he says, Chris. Okay. Um. Yeah. You, you probably guessed it. I think probably. But I look. It's a very. It's, it's a very very good film. Uh, I think a lot. Um. It's been kind of revered as as one of the series best. I've always strongly <laughs> disagreed. But uh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Skyfall. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Look, it, look, it's enjoyable. I, th- I think it looks great. It has, a, it has a really nice score. Has a good villain. The plot is nonsensical, however. But overall, it you know, it's kind of like okay. It's like what we were saying with um, Never Say Never Again. It doesn't feel like a you know I, you know it, for me it doesn't feel like a bomb film, and it kind of. It it would be high. It would be so much higher if it had kind of a few more of the you know the warm comments like the gun barrel and whatnot. But also if it didn't have that whole I don't know. Let's just be in love with ourselves a little bit too much and just like be a really good strong story. It would be so up there. But sadly, it's not. It's my number fifteen. It's bang in the middle. So um, yeah, there you are. Skyfall is my number fifteen. Um, What's your fourteen, Chris? Number fourteen is. Uh, a film I a Bond film I expected to be much lower going into uh, uh, when we started doing this podcast, but it kind of surprised me. And after a few watches, I, I kind of got a bit more and more out of it. I think it's very, I think it looks great. Uh, I you know I like the leading man. Um, I, you know, I, I always thought it was boring, but it actually engaged me a lot more. It's got a really good henchwoman in it. It's uh, it's fundable. Uh, so yeah, I, it's not much more I can, I can say about. Uh, but other than the fact, I just think it's a very classic Bond. Uh, I, 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 I enjoyed it a lot more doing the reviews, and I respect it a heck of a lot more than I used to. So, uh, yeah, therefore, Thunderball is my number 14. Uh, Becca, what's your number 14? Um, no, I put Spectre at number 14, surprisingly enough. Um, I, I think I enjoy it for a lot of the reasons people hate it. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's Bond by numbers. Yes, because well, there's nothing wrong with Bond by Numbers. No, nothing wrong. You know, there's perfectly good films have, have covered Bond by Numbers, but that's just that is what it is. Um, Quantum's a bit kind of like Bond by Numbers in, in many aspects, in many respects, but it's just box ticking exercise. It's so isn't. Well, no, this is it. It's like as if they, they go to make that sort of film and they just they forget about 
quantum of solace is not bond by numbers. It's totally different from any other bond. Well, no, so, no, exactly. It's, it's, you know, they set out kind of to make a certain type of bond film, and then they just don't they just disregard it entirely, which is okay. kind of what makes it exciting in, in many respects, um, but not enough for me, sadly. Um, but yeah, no, I kind of, I, I, I sort of struggle with sort of aspects of it that people seem to find it, you know, aren't easy to kind of hate upon. Um, but I, I'm just, I'm just glad that they brought Wrinkle back into the fold. You know, it's. it's it's, it's a shame that it kind of you know that McClory's death kind of was able to you know made this possible, which which is very sad, um, but it's true. Um, and it's just uh, for me, it's kind of it's it's really great. It's such a wasted opportunity, um, but I'm just glad it's kind of it's back in the formula again, and hopefully they can you know next film they can kind of they can follow it on. So. What, what worries me, I think it might be even more wasted opportunity because if like, if Daniel Craig doesn't stay on, this whole like storyline will just be a bit of a Oh, bit of a pointless reprise, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially with Felt saying that, you know, if he's he's only going to come back if, if Daniel Craig comes back as well. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, you don't know, you know, it may say on the contract to do um, Spectre and then, you know, a couple more, whatever's contracted to do. But at, at this point, we're kind of in a bit of, pay, bit of limbo at the moment because none of us kind of know well. And an sure Eon, nobody knows what's going on, really. Well, should Daniel Craig, <laughs> nobody knows what's going on at this stage. Um, it could be just that Daniel Craig's just on a bit of a hiatus and obviously they've... He's been given, you know, um, been granted a bit of time to go and do some other projects to, to, you know, take a breather from Bond. But I just, I really hope he does come back so he can kind of finish off what they started, really. But who knows at this stage? Yeah, it just makes me wonder, like, what, you know, they should have, like, sort of just kept Blofeld for until the next Bond comes in and then do something more significant and more satisfying with that rather than kind of shoehorn it into the franchise uh, at, uh, to a later stage with, you know, a Bond that's, like, creeping into his 50s now you know i you know i just think it's it's a bit heavy-handed and it's a bit like old gun ho and a bit more like oh quick 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 we know we, we need to do it like dave said i don't blame him for wanting to do it but at the same time it's you know they should have just waited you know um but anyway yes uh dave uh dave we've got your number 15 14 sorry yeah, my number 14, I think, is the one film in the series that, in retrospect, almost breaks my heart. If I was if I was putting this on preference, it would be a little bit higher. This is one of those films that I can't justify putting any higher than it is. But it tries hard. It has a theme I like. And I so wanted to love it because of what my favourite Bond film is. It was the one shot this Bond actor had at greatness and he kind of fluffed it and it breaks my heart in retrospect. It should be so much higher. The closest, it's not his highest ranked film in my list, but it's the only shot he had at greatness. Uh, Number 14, The World Is Not Enough. Um, I totally see what you're going for and I'm just going to shoot the gun here. Uh, It is my number 13 as well. Uh, So it's the next one along. And I thought we'd have them close together. I would have bet that I'd put it highest of the three of us, but I think what we've effectively done is put it in the same sort of area. Yeah, I mean, it's my favourite Brosnan. Uh, I think it's my favourite Brosnan. I just can't argue it's the best. And I've had to balance those two things. It's not my favourite. I'll say that now. But you're wrong. <laughs> Sorry. Well, look, it's, it's, it's his best actual performance as Bond. Um, oh, sure, yeah. So it's more, more human performance, I think. More human side of Bond. It, is the, film that, it is the film that taught me that there's no point living if you can't <laughs> feel alive. <laughs> <a guy. laughs> what the last screw in that face? <laughs> 
but you know what? I I I kind of always in, enjoy it. You know, it's uh, you know, it's a decent enough ride. It's got a good twist, uh, as uh, Becca said uh, before when uh, when she mentioned it in her ranking. You know, it, I just yeah, I I kind of see the potential, and I do believe the kind of the the romance there more than say the what is happens in Spectre. It must be down to either the director or. I don't know, maybe the chemistry between the two actors, but, you know, it just says something like, you know, a director like Sam Mendes couldn't get a connection between um, the Bond and the girl and sell us a romance, but, like, uh, a Brosnan in his most, I don't know, in in his heyday, at a time where, like, Bond, they were just knocking Bond, Bond films out, you know, like, as if it's just, like, cheap for cheap thrills, Marriage to Sell is more of a love story. I, I generally kind of keep going back to this and having a good time with it, so that's why it's as high as it is. Well, I'll, I, I, will, carry, I will go next, simply because we've... Uh, just because of the conversation we've just had. Uh, at number 13, for me, is Spectre. Now, when it was released, I thought it was fantastic, with problems, but I... I thought it would go ahead of Skyfall. Now, I haven't named Skyfall yet, so clearly it doesn't. On an enjoyment basis, I think, of all the films in this series, it's so shiny. You know, everyone <laughs> looks so great in every sequence, and it's beautiful to look at, but it just doesn't really stand up to rewatch. And the tying everything to Bond was a mistake. And I, I tend to think now, and it's only really just occurred to me recently... The biggest mistake they make is not using Blofeld. It's using Blofeld as the main antagonist. The main antagonist is Spectre, not Blofeld. And we saw that in the Connery era, that Dr. No is Spectre. Red Grant and Rosa Klebb are Spectre, as is Largo, and so on. It makes Spectre a bigger thing. It's like... What yeah, Blofeld is, is the figurehead at the end of it, and he's a good reveal, but fair enough. You've blown your wad in one film. Now, you didn't need to do that. We we could have carried on for two decades without seeing Blofeld. That that could easily have happened. Have Spectre recurring, having them have them as a shadow over things. But instead, not only have we had Blofeld and not one of the weaker performances I've ever seen from that actor. But everything's tied to Bond. And I just think the leaps they tried to make to tie it to Casino Royale, the circumstances of which getting to Casino Royale were happenstance, because if Bond hadn't stopped the plot at Miami, there would have been no need for it. You cannot tie that together. It's too much of a reach. And also, they blew what should have been a very special love story. That said, it's very pretty. The action's better, that I think, than in Skyfall. I think the score's a little bit better than Skyfall's as well. It's got the gun barrel in the right place. It's Yay! Got lots of, it's got lots about it. I, it's got lots about it I like. But yeah, it's dropped away, but it, it's the last film in the series, in my rankings, that I would describe as seriously flawed. Everything from now on goes to, like, very good. Um, it sits in the middle. So Spectre at number 13 for me. So uh, what about you, Becca? You're number 13. Uh, my number 13 is 
The Living Daylight. Tim's first entry into the Bond series is at number 13, but that doesn't mean it's entirely unlucky. That has genuinely stunned me. I thought The Living Daylights was a favourite of yours. Yeah, it turns out there are films that I like a bit, bit more. <laughs> and, yeah, okay. and, and, and the thing is that when you came into it, you, you thought uh, Living Daylights was better than Licence, or you preferred like, Daylights over Licence. Absolutely. Yeah, I've changed a few aspects of it, but no, I mean, I, no, I, still, I still really enjoy it. I still really enjoy it, and it's, it's um, in terms of... Okay, I think it's because his two films um, is the one I came to the first, so I kind of, I'd obviously watched it, watched it more. Um, but I think yeah, <laughs> this is gonna sound really bad. Um, I don't know how else I can say it, but like you guys kind of rubbed off on me a little bit, and that sounds really dirty. I don't mean it to sound that way. <laughs> <laughs> Not like that. Don't get um, no, anything into that, listener. She just meant we came over her. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, Roger Moore is like going oh, <laughs> groaning. <laughs> oh dear. Um, no, as I say, it's. Um, I still have a lot of love for this movie. Um, it's ridiculous. Um, it's very silly. Um, There's some brilliant performances. Great score. I love the score. Um, kind of very more like, um, uh, again, very sort of electronic driven. Um, great action movie. Great action movie. Great action scenes. Um, Cara's a bit of a lipstick, but you know she's lovable. Um, and Tim, you know, Tim's very important, very vital in the role as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's number thirteen, but as I said, it's not unlucky by any. Any stretch of the imagination. Alright, we're into the top half now, Chris. Yeah, number 12. Um, Ooh, what's yours? Uh, my number 12 is um, is Quantum. It's Quantum of Solace. Um, okay. I know it, I've, I've ranked uh, two of the other Craigs that probably received us better. Uh, I still get a lot of enjoyment out of it. And, and, you know, and like I said in the review, um, it, it holds up for me. Um... I you know I, I I acknowledge there are problems and I and I, I I just accept them. It's not perfect by any stretch of the means. Unlike you, you Dave, it 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 does experiment. It does try to do something different, but also pick up the pace from Casino Royale. And, and it's probably by association with Casino Royale alone that I I I I I, I like it uh, the way I do. You know, when watching this back to back, it works so much better. Um, it's more akin of how I wished Daniel Craig films went, even though this was like this wasn't an ex- a successful uh, film in the franchise. Um, well, particularly in popular opinion, anyway. But um, it, even even with all its flaws, this is kind of how I wished Daniel Craig went, um, as opposed to likes to say Skyfall Spectre. So um, at number twelve, this feels more him. Quantum Assault, yes. This feels more like how it should have gone, really. I, I feel like Spectre, it sounds bad to say, but Quantum Spectre is kind of like a step backwards. It feels like you're just, you just kind of like playing it safe again. You're just sort of giving the audience what they want rather than what they need or what like a good story deserves. There's no, there's not much of a decent story being told. Um... Which you know, which whatever you say, at least this was like a continuation of a story, and this could have been um, Quantum could have been like the New Age Spectre, and it would have worked better, and it would have made a lot more sense in ter- in in terms of its conception. And uh, over time, it would have made it less important to cram Spectre back in. Yeah, because you've got the modern equivalent. It, 
no one has questioned whether we even want Spectre. They've just assumed, and, and the nostalgia in most Bond fans, because we're quite a conservative bunch in our way, has, has kind of gone, yeah, but you just think, well, had you carried on with Quantum and it had been an Al Pacino or a Rachel Weisz or whatever, you just think, well, like, would that have been so bad? Would that have been any worse than what we had? I do think it's flawed in execution, and a lot of the reason I'm not such a big fan of it is that it is a miserable big screen experience for most people who ever experience it that way, but it's aging quite nicely. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think the reason for it is I think a because of time. If, if they if they shot straight afterwards, I don't think we'd have that issue. Um, but I think after like what I've been four years away, and after kind of quantum being considered a failure, just kind of want to step away from. Quantum as much as possible, so I think Quantum died by association with Quantum Solace, which is a shame. But there you go. It was just um, but anyway. But yes, so that's my number twelve. Uh, Becca, what's your number twelve? Number twelve is a few eyes only. We're kind of yeah getting into the top ten. Um, sadly, this just missed mark by one. Um, but it's kind of it's one of the harder edge Bond movies. Um, did, it's did you want? To, sorry, Becca. Did you want to include like, it in your top ten? Was this one of the um, films that you? Is it one of those you're like, oh god, I had to mark it, and put it that low? No, it's got the. I mean, it's it's, it's a great film. Um, and after, after Moonraker, I mean, obviously we're, we're just getting on a little bit now. <laughs> Give us a kiss. Give us a kiss. Oh really, Mister Bond? Um, <laughs> whatever it is he said. It, it, it was like I was speaking to Margaret Thatcher or something. Jesus, oh, bloody hell! Spinning in the grave, Jesus. Um, and I said about her is the better. Um. Yeah, she's like the low point of this movie, even though she was a premiere at the time. Um, but it's, it's one of Roger's best films, I think. Um, but I've just got one of his films that's placed... Hold on. Yeah, couple, placed, think, yeah, placed a little bit higher. You've got um, a couple. There's a couple you haven't named yet. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's a few there. Yeah. Um, but there's one which is very high. And I should yeah. just go to you all. Um, but no, it's, um, I think it's one of his, in terms of performance, it's one of his strongest roles, for sure. But yeah, I kind of just wanted to put in, but it's not just misses, you know, just shy of the, of the top by top ten there, um, just because there are other films by other Bonds who I think are, are stronger and who I I personally enjoy more. Um, I used to think this film was very dull once it got into the rock climbing sort of scenes as they kind of ascend up to the monastery. I used to think, oh my god, will this never end? Um, and it kind of in my rankings, it always kind of fell towards the bottom somewhere. Um, but it's just like a fine wine, you know, it's kind of it's, it's growing vague and it's pre- you know I can appreciate it more. Um, as I would as well, I can appreciate it more, um, the kind of more um, solid aspects of it. Um, after the silliness of previous films as well, it's it's like, you know, Casino Royale after Dine of the Day. It's just, mm. you know, no, speak, it's, it's a good score, Becca. Yeah. I mean, 12th is, is a perfectly respectable position for it, you know what I mean? You know, obviously, Chris and I have put it higher because, uh, spoiler alert, it's not going to be my number 12. It's going to be a bit higher than that. Oh, yeah, no, Chris, uh, Chris hasn't named it yet, but the fact is, 12 is a perfectly respectable place to put it i'd say but um yeah, my, my, number 12. my number 12 i wish i could put it higher and in my previous rankings it was higher but again it's balancing quality and enjoyment it is slower than most of the bond films around it it's beautiful it's got one of the weaker scores from that era in my opinion uh connery's brilliant in it but his wig's shit um, 
it's got the worst this will give it away if you haven't figured it out already it's got the worst speeding up in the entire series and a lot of the wow factor of this film was specific to its time because you hadn't had the underwater photography at this point that you would take for granted now so I can imagine if I'd gone to see this film in 1965 I would have walked out blown away by it a lot of people find Domino one of the most beautiful Bond girls in the series. I actually just think she's pretty bland. Um, I wish I could put it higher, but most of the films above it I enjoy more. But we are into the ve- we are now into the very good. At number twelve for me, Thunderball. Andy Strats. Andy Strats. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I I I enjoy um, Thunderball. Uh, I, I think I like I said I liked it a lot more than uh, Division did. So uh, yeah, um, so what are we on to number eleven? My number eleven. I this is normally uh, well. I've only ever ranked the Bond films once. I've got a big reveal about that later. But anyway, um, the one time I ranked it, this was the highest ranking Roger Moore film. Uh, it still wasn't in the top ten, and it isn't now. But an, another film has has overtaken it. I think this is a very fine debut. It's it's hurt a little bit by the thing of the day. It's black exploitation theme, but it's one. If Roger Moore had never done another Bond film, you'd look at him and say, "Well, that was a missed opportunity because he looks the part. He's good in the role. He's less physical than than Sean Connery, but he plays it smooth and suave." I really like this film. So at number eleven, live and let die. It is a bit of a, a classic as well, live and let die. It's, uh, but it's it, really good. I wish I could have put it in the top ten, but there's only yeah. ten slots. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, I mean, what what I kind of like about it is that it's not afraid to kind of mix things up and kind of be a bit more relevant as well with its uh, black black exploitation and voodoo kind of uh, um, side of it. So. Um, yeah, it's it, it's not next to my list, but um, I do appreciate it. Uh, Becca, what's your number 11? Well, it's funny enough you should say Living That Die is your number 11, Dave. So is mine. Oh, okay. Finding something we agree on. Because, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we disagree a lot. Oh. Um, yeah, okay. no, it's just one of those things. It's, it's what just first. Respectfully. Oh, no, no, definitely. That's and what I it's only, all about. I only talk shit about you sneakily and behind your back. Oh, good. <laughs> um, that's what it was. You know, if we all agreed, it'd be boring, wouldn't it? And nobody wants to no, listen. Absolutely, so. no, it's fine. But no, it's all good. Um, yeah, it's Roger's first one. Um, but again, it's same with Moonraker. It's the product of its time. So you've got sort of black exploitation movies. And it's the Bond genre trying to kind of fit into that. As I would kind of agree with um, what was it? I can't. Remember. I'm rubbish with people remember people's names. Um, the Matthew Sweet kind of review. Um, basically, think it's, it's not a Bond movie. Um, it's, it's just a black exploitation movie that happens to feature a character called James Bond. Um, but I think he kind of, you know, I think he was is older than Connery. I think when he took on the role. Yeah, I mean, um, he still is. Yeah, well, no, yes, he still is. No, I mean, in terms of kind of, you know, when, when he first kind of entered that kind of, obviously, he's going to be older I, than Connery, I, isn't he? I, I but said you know it what I mean? at the time. I said it at the time, Becca, that we, we came out of Diamonds Are Forever, and I just thought. Sean Connery played it like an old man. Two years later, we have a, a Bond that is, at that point, five years older than Connery was in Diamonds Are Forever, and he just looks so fresh. 
He looks so much better, doesn't he? I think he's, mm. he's a lot fitter. Um, even though he's kind of like into his early 40s. I mean, that's not, that's not old. You know, by he any means. He was 45 during most of filming of this. And yeah, and he, he still does the scenes. You know, for with all that. The, he stayed in the role too, too long, but the fact is, no problem with him here at all. No, definitely not. I mean, he's, he, he's, he, you know, he's, he's really good in the role. He's kind of like a, a real force, I think, to be reckoned with here. Um, he's dangerous, but he's also you know, very charming, very suave, very stylish. Um, and just yeah, I think it's just misses out in my top ten, in my top ten. Um, but it's it's very it's a very um, very earnest first stab at the role I think, um, and one that goes down in history. I think there's you know in those classic seventies movies. Uh, my number eleven is a, a film that um, both of you guys have already uh, mentioned uh, so far. Um, it's it has its flaws, um, but it's. It has a very lush score. I think it's very pretty to look at. Um, it has a lot of the Bond tropes. And I think it's generally, to me, it's classic Bond. It's You Only Live Twice. As I said, it's it, it it's not perfect when you look at it from a critical eye. But from a, a sentimental kind of... As a you know, as 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 a as a bomb fan growing growing up watching this as a kid, it has a lot a lot of sentiment to it, and um, I think it it gives birth to a lot of the tropes. I mean, like uh, I think when um, I think when when you guys mentioned that, it, it essentially is almost like a it's it's it, if you see a, a spoof or bomb film, it mainly goes to it's mainly spoofing. Um, you only live twice, and I think that sort of says kind of what 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 it means that this is like this stereotypical bomb film um so yeah number 11 I, I mean I, I i bought a few bond films on vhs in about 97 or 98 uh i didn't buy that many but i bought a few of what i perceived were my favorites and this was one of the connery ones i bought and i bought it thinking it was my favorite and then i watched it and it wasn't um and I think that speaks to what you're saying, that you see it as a kid and it just hits you right in the nostalgia. Yeah, it's, it's not a favourite, but then again, I think about it and I remember a lot, like, yes, it has problems, but I think a lot of things I actually liked about it, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember thinking, oh, Connery's, yeah, he's, he's he's putting on a weight, but I think a lot of the time he's actually trying, but then you have the whole, oh, let's turn him Japanese <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, there could the things that could have been better, but then again, you know, as as, as much as like I know you weren't a fan of um or you think Donald Pleasant wasn't as 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 a good Blofeld. No, I flat I flat I, I flat out don't like him. Um but he I remember that first time when like seeing it and it was kind of iconic the look is still iconic to this day. And I think that's the one thing about uh, You Only Live uh, Twice, is that it is iconic. So, uh, yeah, it is my number 11. Um, like Fiji san it is iconic, definitely. Yeah. Cool. We're into the top 10, folks. Top <laughs> da, 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 <laughs> We're going to have to include that then. You mean...
All right. Shall I kick off top ten? Go on then. Go for it. Okay. If I were marking this purely on preference, this would not be in the top ten. I think this is flat out the most over... Well, I would say the most overrated series in the series, but I put The Spy Love Me at 16, so maybe that would be. But a lot of our generation fucking jerk themselves silly over this film. It's got a shit score. It's got the worst performance from that particular Bond that he ever does. It's got the most overrated villain in the series, in my opinion. But it has a terrific henchwoman... It has, um, it refreshes the series. It has a fantastic M and one of the best M sequences in the entire series. And it is, frankly, the most important film in the series. Past Doctor No, past Goldfinger, actually. I think the first three sort of really put it on the map. Um, but after License to Kill, which is a film I love, but the public didn't. And after Dalton, who's a Bond I love, but the public didn't. Six years away, the end of the Cold War. There is no more important uh, Bond film than this. So it just sneaks into the top ten. It gives Brosnan a place in the top ten. It's nowhere near as good as its reputation, but it's important and it's enjoyable. At number ten, Goldeneye. Yeah, like like we said, it is what the franchise needed at that time. Um, Yes. So... God love it for being that way. Um, and I do like it. I do like it a lot. I'm, I'm negative about it only because it, it is that sort of trying to damn it with faint praise because too many people jerk off about it. If you like it, that's great. But objectively, it's not a great film. It's a decent enough film. I, I think there's many of uh, Bond films. I think there's a few Bond films uh, in the series that came along at the time that just gave it um, a Well, the story you love is very similar. It needed yeah. it been a gap by the standards of the series at that time three years and it produced something that made people feel good about the series again so i don't love the spy love me i don't particularly love goldeneye but they're both important goldeneye is the better of the two of them for me um but yeah it just sneaks into the top 10 um this and i think the next couple are in the sort of really good but flawed still and then we get to the greats Becca? At the number 10 spot, I have Skyfall. Okay. Obviously, it was the 50th anniversary movie. Um, very important. Um, yes, the last half, well, third of the movie is Home Alone. But um, <laughs> apart from that, I just. Well, it turns into a home invasion thriller, doesn't it, pretty much? Yeah, it's when Daniel Craig splashes on some aftershave and screams in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> It it, it was the paint cans like swinging around hitting uh, Javier Bardem in the face. I know, and Javier Bardem. He has all the booby traps that he sets around his house. But um, no, I just think, you know, it's a a 50th anniversary movie, so it's carrying a lot on his shoulders. Um, I think it did, apart from that dodgy last half, it just did everything right. Um, Even though kind of the colour palette kind of looks a little bit on on the dull side, there's lots of like blues and greys. and very obvious um, product placement, which is a bit of a pain, but, you know, hey, that's how you fund the movie these days. Um, then I, I really enjoyed it from start to finish. Um, it's one of Craig's better better Bond movies. Um, you know, just because it's the, you know, it's the anniversary movie, then it ends number 10 spot in my top 10. Okay, well, I, you know, everyone knows how I feel on that, so... <laughs> yeah, moving on. Right, what's your, what's yeah, your number 10? My number 10, uh, again, kind of like uh, You and Twice, uh, it's a stone-cold classic. doesn't have many of the Bond tropes 
as uh, the as the other financial classic Bond films. Uh, but that's for very good reason. It's the one that started all. It's Doctor No. Um, now, yeah, I, I, I think for me, Doctor No. Uh, as top ten, just seems absolutely right to me. Um, it's not amongst my favourites, um, but it's it's just got classic written over it. It's very classy, very kind of... I mean, who'd have thought that this film would kick off the franchise that it is now? Um, it's it's kind of like, you don't really... But it it is very... Again, it just has its moments. Um, I think it's, it looks great. Like Connery um, is just you know a, a new star on the horizon, and uh, God bless it, Doctor No number ten. Okay, well I'll I'll go first on the next simply because it does follow on. I am really stunned. I put this highest of the three of us. I was pretty sure Chris would put it lowest. That doesn't surprise me, but I thought Becca would put it higher than me. This is the highest ranking Bond film. I don't, to some degree, love. And when I, I've mentioned Thunderball, which I love, I love Live and Let Die to some degree. There's parts of the world are not, it's not enough I love. There are films below this I, I like more, but I can't justify putting it any lower. It's ambitious. It tries to do something different. It has a fantastic pre-title. It has my favorite, one of my favorite title sequences in the entire series. And it tries to do something different. But... I've got real problems with it. It goes in the top 10. I almost don't want to put it there because on preference it would be lower. But trying to balance quality and preference at number nine, Skyfall. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, fair enough, I think. I can understand that. Could it very it's... similar. Yeah, I was. Mm. <laughs> I can sympathise having it at number 10. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's that sort of same sort of thing where you put quality in terms of like, into in, in, in preference of... of rankings are bond so that's why it's kind of where it is uh but i completely understand the position it is a very it's a very watchable film to watch you know the last time i ranked bond films i don't remember all of my rankings but skyfall hadn't long come out it'd been out a month or two i put it fourth equal it was only two films in the series i put right next to each other Skyfall was fourth equal. It's been dropping ever since, to be honest with you. I don't know that it will drop much more, except for other films displacing it. I think it's objectively quite good, but everyone jerks off about the way it looks. It doesn't look that great, as far as I'm concerned. Um, um, uh, it's got full of it's full of narrative holes, and it's all set up. But at the same time, pre-title, great title sequence, great performances. Um, and it tries to do something different. It doesn't have some of the holes that Goldeneye has in it. it doesn't have the terrible score that Goldeneye has. Um, and it's not as paint-by-numbers as Spectre. So uh, whilst I started off enjoying Spectre more than this, I think this, this is going to age much, much better. And I do think this is, as much as I don't love it, it is one for the ages. It is. I think Skyfall will be one of the classics of the series in years to come. Oh boy! <laughs> okay, <laughs> Becca. At number nine, I have Thunderball. And he strikes. <laughs> I'm following on from you guys. Sanchez. I'm I'm surprised. Like I'm I'm the one who put this lowest as well because I I thought I may possibly would be 
Uh, but it's quite high considering. But then again, maybe because my interpretation was quite low when I first going in. But anyway, um, yeah, Becca, well, Thunderball. No, despite the um, the bad wig, um, <laughs> and the sped up film. Um, no, it's, it's quite good. I mean, you've got uh, a lot of people kind of say like you've got um, Goldfinger is kind of where like the Bond um, formula sort of came into being. Um, arguably, it's kind of bleeds into Thunderball as well. Um, the underwater scenes do look beautiful it's just beautifully shot um largo is a formidable villain um one of the most dangerous sort of spectre agents i think we've seen in the entire series um the few spectre agents you've seen, terrible yeah you don't want to be up against him for sure um i think he's, he's a very underrated villain as well a villain as well because he doesn't he doesn't i don't know so he doesn't do a lot but he has an awful lot of agency behind him um and he's quite sort of he's heavyweight and also in terms of the man's build as well but he's also quite physically menacing and threatening as well um, I think it's predominantly down to how he, I think he looks better than how like his character actually is I don't know uh, I mean it's not to say he's got a bad character to him but I think the film doesn't do uh, yeah no it's quite he's menacing he's going to get something iconic and he's just not he's just okay a villain um, I mean like the, his, uh, his henchwoman does get has a lot more lasting impression really and, yeah, and what, she's what, she's much more interesting than, than he is, I think, and it's quite it's really what, interesting to have like a female villain, and I think that's kind of what made Sophie Marceau so special, um, just because you you don't really see that very often, apart from obviously you've got your kind of uh, bunch style characters. Whilst you've got, whilst you've got um, what am I trying to say? If you've got uh, the thing with Largo is they are now. I don't think this film is tired in the same way that You Only Live Twice starts to look tired. No, but at the same time. If you're watching one a year, this is the fourth film, only three years after Doctor No, so one a year. Um, I think by now, Largo might have started looking tired, and I don't think he doesn't stand out like Goldfinger does. And in the next film, you got Blofeld. What you think of that Blofeld is neither here nor there, really. But he is, like, number one. So I do think Largo and this film in general suffers a little bit by association, in that it's the slowest paced of the first few. But, yeah, Fiona Volpe's fantastic. Chris, what have you got at number nine? Uh, number nine uh, is a film that, uh, it, again, it's another childhood favourite. And um, when we went to re- review it, we're um, kind of harsh in it and maybe we just sort of looked in it uh, a bit too critically. Because um, I rewatched it again. And... I you know I ha- I have a good time for it again. It's no- it's it's really iconic. Yes, it has problems, but you know what? you know so does you know it, it's Roger Moore at its peak. It's uh it's the spy who loved me. I've got as my number nine. No, um, I respect that. I, I I couldn't put it that high. I know. But I get why people would because it's the Roger Moore film. It is. It is, and it's look. It's just still flat out enjoyable, even though it doesn't make sense. It's all totally all over the place. It kind of it, it basically does you know same thing as you, you know you live twice does exactly the same plot lends itself to a fantastic commentary though folks yeah it does have all the all the things you want in it in a Bond film and it delivers um, so you know it, it, it it's again it's just we, we're talking of this is pure purebred classics even though there are maybe still some faults here or there within it. But you know, end of the day, it's you. Know, you still come back to it, and you know, it's, it's, it's Roger. It's most Roger. What have you put at eight? Okay, uh, eight. Uh, well, speaking of Roger, um, 
I'm going to go with Roger again. <laughs> I'm going to Roger Moore. <laughs> um, it is, it, it, it's a film that um, I, I think, when we're talking about films that refresh the series, I think after the dirgeage of that was uh, Diamonds of Forever, I think this one kind of spice things up a little bit. It's uh, Live and Let Die. Uh, I think this was a little bit more adventurous. Uh, as as uh, Dave said, you know, Roger Moore just felt fresh. Um, it was he proved that he was a different take on the character. And um, yes, I suppose there are some issues, like there is of any Roger Moore film. But <laughs> you know, it again, it you know, it's it it it, it holds itself. To, um, it never gets boring. Um, it has a crazy. Uh, death scene with the main villain but you know god lo- love it for it but um and uh and probably one of the best demonstrations of how to make coffee <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah so Britain, it's um, Britain was struggling and just living on bovril until live and let die came out <laughs> if you've got a yeah. spare eight minutes you can get a thimble full of coffee Black, of course, because, you know. Coffee, that was it. So, uh, yeah, Limit of Dying is my number eight. Um, guys, what's your number eight? I really, I almost wanted to put this film higher, but at the same time, I think it's no secret I don't like Roger Morse as James Bond, so I'm kind of pleased he got one this high. If you took out, if you stuck Timothy Dalton in this film and took out the silly fucking parrot and tightened, took out Margaret Thatcher and tightened the um, uh, whole thing where they go to get the ATAC. I honestly think this would be top five. As it is, I think this film is magnificent, and people do trip over the fact that they think it's a bit slow or it's not as showy or iconic. The fact is this is an extremely fine James Bond film. Roger Moore's best performance in the role, even though he's slightly too old, at number eight for your eyes only. I think Roger Moore should have should have bowed out by now. Yes, he should. He shouldn't have yeah. been there, but it, but he actually did really well with it. But then again, this is his best performance. So if he didn't if he didn't bow out, he wouldn't have delivered it. So well, Roger Moore, as he went on, looked smarmy. Yeah, and he didn't believe. I didn't believe he could kill anyone, and he overplayed everything right back to when he was drugged on the boat in Spy Who Loved Me. Well, in this film, he's about to be sort of dragged over some rocks and cut to shreds with Melina. And he just says, we're not dead yet. And he's so reassuring and he's so caring. And he's got a 23-year-old there that he doesn't fucking <laughs> lech over. And he's, he's straight as well. He's very much more kind of... He's very straight man, isn't he? Definitely. He's, he is. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's he a bit is. more stern. It's not like all raising eyebrows all the place. He's well, kind he of very goes much... To talk to, he goes to talk to, like, there's no M in this film, but he goes and talks to the minister and Tanner, and they say to him, uh, we've lost our only lead. And he goes, well, okay, well, if this is the case, that might be the case, and there's still hope. And it's much more procedural than most of Roger Moore's films. It doesn't have, you know, the uh, Union Jack uh, jump off the cliff. It doesn't have James, I need you, so does England. It doesn't have um, so many things when I think about it that Roger Moore's first few films have in terms of iconography. But it's his best performance. It's his best film. And I'm going to get to a film in a couple that is kind of its stable mate. 
and I'll talk a little bit about uh, more about it then because, but for its foibles, it could have been higher. But uh, yeah, a number eight, I'm very pleased to be able to put for your eyes only. Becca. Conversely, I have Doctor No at number eight. Okay. Um. Yeah, Sean's first movie. Or oh, first mate terms, you know. <laughs> Sean Connery first movie. Yeah. Um. But just because I was um, it is just really important in the role. Um. So it's the whole tone really for like the rest of the genre. Um. I just yeah, it's, it's not top five, but it's you know I think it's totally worthy of being inside the top ten. Um. So it's not the first one. Mm. Um. It's like you know, iconic villain, iconic scenes, um, iconic Bond girl as well. Just lovely locations. I think of a sort of speaking on behalf of Becca as well. You know, she can correct me if you know if I'm wrong, but I think um, I think it's, out out of all the lists that's in the top ten, this is the one that 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 either we don't even love, we don't love as much as the others, but we respect it heck of a lot. Um, which is where which is where it's there, and you know, and and even looking at it from a critical point of view. Um, there, there isn't any fat on it. It's you know it's very nicely done. Um, you know, Sean's just like excellent. And it, the only thing missing is that it's just. I would say it's slow, but it, it's not. It just takes its time, and I, I kind of like that. So uh, sorry, sorry to just talk over you, Becca. I didn't. I, I just no, like that. no, you didn't talk over me at all. No, that's perfectly fine. That could be sums up everything I want to say. Really, I mean, it's mm. like today's. Filmmaking standards, it may be slow just because we're used to kind of more fast paced cutting and, and what have you. Um, but it's kind of, you know, alongside other kind of 60s spy thrillers of the same, you know, the same genre, um, it's a real breath of fresh air. And it's, you know, it's the first one, so it's very important in the series. Um, and that's why it's at number eight on my list. Well, I'll follow straight on from that, actually, because I've got Dr. No, it's at number seven. Um, Doc, I'm actually gutted to put it this low because. If I were marking purely on preference, it would be top four. It is actually my favourite Connery. I don't think it's the best, though. I can't justify putting it higher. From Russia with Love and Goldfinger are clearly above it because I've not named them yet. Um, and they're better films. But Doctor No just has a feel to it I adore. And it would be in my top three or four films to just sling on. I love the look of it. I love the feel of it. I love Connery's performance in it. I don't really love the last half an hour. I don't actually like the Doctor No stuff. But everything to do with set up with him in the casino, him going to see Emma at about three in the morning, his first meeting with Moneypenny, uh, 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 Sylvia Trench in his flat, uh, meeting Jack Lord at the airport, or not at the airport, but being followed by him at the airport and meeting him later. Oh, and him going around his hotel room and you know, checking it all out and, and getting it ready, the whole Strangway stuff, um, even even sort of uh, sort of mission control, if you like, at MO6, where they're trying to get hold of Jamaica and you've got all those banks of phones with everyone smoking. I just adore this film. I can't put it higher than it is, but it is in my top three or four favourite James Bond films at number seven. For me, is Doctor No, and I think it's quite appropriate i put it top because I, I love it becca and chris respect it i love it i think um what well, uh i think it does have one of the most for me one of my favorite iconic bomb moments which is like that's a smith and western you've had your six and fantastic stuff yeah i i just i couldn't i couldn't for a second argue it's the best it's my favorite though yeah yeah i've got your favorite um unless it's to kill number seven amazingly enough um that surprised me that it's so high um, 
yeah, no, it's kind of more, even though I do love um, Living Daylights, I think it's a little better Bond film, it's a much better action film, I think, of the two of his films. Um, Sanchez is a great villain, but again, it's kind of like, not villain du jour, but it's kind of a lot of those, it's, it's dealing with, you know, the politics um, and the cultural landscape at the time, what was going on. But I think it's it's one of the film, rare films where, um, you know, Bond tackles then modern day issues, but they're much more believable. Um, I think it's, it's certainly more, despite his bouffant hairdo, he feels much more dangerous in this film. We do think, oh my God, he's actually going to pop up and put a bullet in you, you know. It's very dangerous in this movie. Um, I, I think there is chemistry between him and his leading ladies, um, whereas other people may not, you know, be so believable of it. Um, but no, so it's, it's definitely worthy of number seven ranking there. But it's just, you know, it's a really good sort of, you know, late 80s, like, late, 90s action movie as well. Um, I love the score. The score is fantastic. Um, it, a lot of that Spanish guitar know, in it. So. It would have almost stretched credibility if it had shot up to like top five or something. The fact is, you had a great experience with it. You enjoyed talking about it with us, and it's a film you've been able to reappraise. So yeah, seventh is great. Well, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's the same as like Furious. Only over the years, and that as well. It's just it's kind of it's gone from a bit. Where I thought, oh god, really dull, really boring. To actually, you know, it's a hard-edged proper spot thriller, and it's not what more fanning around, you know. No, um, exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> emphasis on fanny. It's watching for <laughs> snigger. Um, okay, well, with that, uh, few eyes only is my number seven. Uh, yeah, it's my favourite Roger, and uh, so uh, I have. What's your favourite Roger, Becca? You never answered that. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Go on, my favourite Roger is coming very soon. <laughs> really? <laughs> Great night ahead. Yeah, we've got uh, so 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 my top ten. I've got basically uh, three watches back to back on on you know <laughs> yeah so um, in, in a row. But in date, few eyes only. I've always said this. There's no, there's no surprise. It's my favourite Roger Moore film uh, in the series. Um, it's his best performance. Uh, I think listeners will probably gather that uh, I'm a more fan of the harder edge uh, take on Bonds than, say, the more lighter tone. Um, as much as I still enjoy the lighter tone, but I think when I see... I tend to sort of sit, um, sit up and take notice more when Bond is being gritty and dark and violent. That is why I, I kind of prefer uh, my James Bond stories. So... It's, it'd be no surprise this is my favourite Roger Moore um, I think it's very mature I think it's um, I think I, I think it, look, it looks great I think it I think the action scenes are handled very well uh, I think it's a nice I think it's a nice ground to earth change coming from Moonraker to this uh, and I actually quite like the music <laughs> even though it's, you know, a lot of it's kind of very Bill Conti but I think he does a really really good good solid job with this uh, so that's my number 7 for your eyes only. And that's despite there being a parrot and Margaret Thatcher turning up. Number six, guys. Um, who wants to go first? I have This Why I Love Me at number six. Just because I, I love it. It's uh, it's rubbish. It's, no, it's not rubbish. Um, so no, it is. We'll take your first answer. It's just, <laughs> it's just like balls, though. We take your first answer, that's it. Well, it's, it's, it's totally, totally confused. It's, the yes, the it. first half is a completely different film to the second half. Um but they've been in the CW Looney. Um, Bubbleback, she looks good, but may not be the best actress. Mm. Jaws is, is, is amazing in this movie. I think Rachel Kill makes a greater impression here than he does in Moonraker. Um, and it's just, it's just, you know, it's just silly. Um, and I just, I love it. 
all it's all it's what's what's and all it's just brilliant from start to finish, um start to finish um i recently saw it on the big screen well a couple of months ago now it feels so long ago um but just it holds up even you know with the passing of time um i just it's great fun i watch it it's, it's cheesy it's silly it's ridiculous but it's nobody does it better quite frankly Apart from the five films you're about to name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, apart from the top five, of course. But <laughs> Nobody does it. In terms of Roger's gone. <laughs> like, um, what, what I kind of admired from it from um, the recent viewings was how it actually takes risks and some of the score, like the, the stuff in Egypt, the, you know, the music cues and that just seemed very kind of like, wow, you went there. And it, it, it feels kind of very, I think it sounds brilliant. I, I think it sort of ele- elevates the film. Uh, at certain points, so I think the score does actually help, even though at times it does sound a little bit cheesy enough. But it's all over the place. But when yeah. it's good, it's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah there are some really silly so, aspects, like like for yeah. example, when when you see there's a you know obviously when um, is it Max Calby he sort of chases when during the um, during the laser sequence um, at the um, in Giza, um, and there's like you know really cheesy bits, and I think that's that you just think oh cringe. I mean I'm sure like in you know when when it came out, they were like, "Oh, this is amazing!" But well, it, it kind of still... reminds me. Look, watching it now, it kind of reminds me of a Jalo film. You know, yeah. it you know because in fact it's got like sort of that moody kind of red or green lighting, flashing back. You see Jaws just stand, standing there in the shadows, sort of glaring. Yeah, it's very sort of a, expressionistic kind of style, isn't it? But yeah. obviously, with, with, without the without the blood. <laughs> yeah, and then, without uh, the blood, I think of a Jalo movie. And then is it? Um, yeah, who, who, who's it? Peckish. Peckish, yeah. that's the one, yeah. Yeah, Peckish just foolishly just like sort of just just. And I, oh, I think my life might be in danger. I know. I think I might just run off into some sort of darkened corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two lethal yeah. agents beside you, but run. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and amongst a large crowd of people, you know. <laughs> um, but, and yeah. also, Roger looks shit in this film compared to Moonraker. But hey, here we go. We've got this is the first big fucking spread of difference between us Becca the spy who loved me at position 6 <gasps> Chris at number 9 me at 16 <laughs> <laughs> that tells you something folks Chris what did you put at 6 I was surprised by this I thought I was going to have this in my top 5 um, but in light of uh, a certain film it was, it was a toss up originally this was going to sort of stand head and shoulders with another classic um, and I had to kind of decide, and I hummed hard, but um, my number six is from Russia of Love. Um, I've said uh, it's my favourite Connery. Um, and Evidently I, I, not. Well, it, I think it kind of comes tied to uh, an almost extent, even though um, Goldfinger is higher. But I think what... I'll talk about Goldfinger, but I think the only thing that sets it apart is really this takes this feels less of a Bond film, more of an actual thriller. Um, but I just love this uh, Bond take. You know, I, again, it's like back when the franchise was finding its feet. You know, and had the you know I think what happens later on is a very bold, confident, and iconic. I think that's probably the key word I'd use for that. Um, what happens later is iconic, um, but this is very rich, very classic, uh, no holds barred. Um, I still hold it very highly, um, but... We're in rarefied air now. In yeah. 
like putting it sixth, second, third, first, or whatever. It almost pains me. Yeah. Certainly with Chris, I, I, I know Chris from 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 for your eyes only upwards. We're talking. Well, yeah, we're talking. Literally, th- these are my favourites, and it's there's very far between them. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's my number six. Mine is the Living Daylights. I uh, this is the highest it's ever been in my esteem. I adored it this time. And the only reason it isn't one place higher is I think the film that comes ahead of it is a bit more consistent. That said, I do think the raw materials of For Your Eyes Only are better. I do think it's just an ancient Roger Moore, albeit given his best performance, and some of the silly elements of it and a couple of bits that drag knock it below this, but I I do think it's a better-looking film with all the rest of it. Um, I'll talk more about Dalton when we get to the other film, but... um, it falls outside the top five, but not by a lot, and largely because of all the Afghanistan stuff, which bores me. But yeah, The Living Daylight's a very, very fine James Bond film, and I've got it at number six. Okay, well, my number five is, well, it's no surprise. Um, it was originally going to be my number six. I always had this film pegged at that. But uh, watch it now, I realised that, God damn it, I just fucking love Dalton. <laughs> You did say you did say the Living Daylights wouldn't be top five. You've you've clearly had a rethink. I have, and it's just I, I sat down to think, and my, you know, it's the heart wants to quote Woody Allen. The heart wants what it wants, and for me, Daylights is a top five Bond film. And I know that probably makes me a Dalton fanboy because I haven't got to license yet. We will get there in a minute with me, but and I'll explain it when we get to the next one. The Living Daylights is a top five Bond film that just slips out for me, just because there have been so many Bond films. This could top a list quite happily. Yeah, and it's it's just, it's just a great solid effort, and I always find enjoyment from it. I think also, again, it hit me at a right age where I wasn't, I was. At a young age, but I was old enough to kind of like uh, watch it consistently enough uh, on telly or when I like taped it on VHS. Um, it, it it hit me at a time where like, oh shit, Dalton did another one, and I, I watched that, and I I think it's it's just it's got the right mix for me as nostalgia fan favorite. It's got my favorite bonds. Um, it hits so many right marks for me, um, and I. I, 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 when I think of a perfect Bond film, I think this is up there. Uh, Living Daylights is number five. Conversely, my number five is Goldeneye. It's brought Bond out of the doldrums um, for the, the, six, the six years. Although, Bruce is just you know just finding the role. Um, Sean Bean has one of the bloodiest deaths in all of Bond. Um, spoiler alert: he dies. <gasps> the all, all the films he doesn't die in, on one hand. His character looks very promising in Game of Thrones, though. It does. Yeah. That's true. I'm sure that's going to go well. I imagine, he, I imagine he probably wins the game of at the end. And he gets a big shoulder carry. And that's well done, you know, you know, own the Iron Throne. And that's come from somebody who's never seen it. Oh, sorry. Have I just spoiled Game of Thrones? <laughs> that, that, that's another discussion for another day. Um, no, as I say, I think, yeah, even though tomorrow, um, yeah, tomorrow Dies was like my first one in the in the cinema. Um Obviously, the first one in the series, and like for me, being you know, child of the nineties, Brosnan is my bond as it as it was particularly like. If you grew up in the sixties, and obviously it was Connery. If you grew up in the seventies, and obviously it was it was Roger. Um, but I just yeah, I just 
oh, it's nostalgia, rose tinted glasses, but I still think this, you know, this film zips along. Um, there's great um, chemistry between, between all the cast. You just, it's just managed to bring, you know, Bond back from, from the brink, really. So I'm really grateful for this film. So yeah, that's why it's at my number five. Really, really important film in this series. There's no doubt. And I, I don't, I, whilst I don't understand people putting it top, we're talking shape flavors here. I mean, I put it in the top ten. You, you've just about sneaked it into the top five. Mm. I don't really have a problem with that. I mean, it, I, I get why people would love this film. It just has problems, but you cannot understate the importance of Goldeneye. If Goldeneye had failed, it would have been game over. Yeah, easily. Yeah, and again, it's like nostalgia always kind of has. You know, I mean, when we look at these films, we always think of nostalgia. Even our favourites, as, as, as great as great as they are, maybe critically, it's nostalgia that wins our hearts over. Um, so it's, it's. But the thing with Goldeneye, Chris, is that there's no other film like it. That say Spectre had come out and flopped. I mean, like, it, I mean, the reviews weren't great, but imagine they'd been really Actually. toxic, like ten percent on Rotten Tomatoes sort of. Yeah. Business, and it had done an opening weekend half of what they expected, and then dropped eighty percent in its second week, and so on. What would have happened is the next Bond film would still come out. You might have a different Bond. It might it might sort of switch to even if Craig wanted to do it, they might start thinking, okay, well he's too expensive if we're going to get that sort of return, and we need to have a rethink. And the next one might come out and be a bit more Roger Moore like or something. I don't know. But the fact is, a flop Bond film now would do fuck all to damage the series. It might change direction a little bit, but there'll still be a Bond film. Goldeneye is the one, the first one since probably from Russia with Love that was shit or bust. Mm. And so its success cannot be overstated. Um, Yeah, it's a really important Bond film. My number five is from Russia with Love. Now, I wanted to put this higher, and I almost feel like it belongs higher. But... I've had to balance enjoyment and and quality. Um, on the quality side of things, as good as it is, it's still got bits that drag. You could you could cut that whole gypsy, gypsy camp stuff. It's too long. Um, but it 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 proved lightning could strike twice because Doctor No was a low budget sort of quickie. But when I look at favourites, I don't enjoy it as much as maybe I should. When we went to review them, I thought From Russia With Love was very good. I admired it greatly. I enjoyed it. I mean, it's not like a Skyfall where I admire it but don't love it. I do love this, but it's not... Well, we'll talk about it when we get to my next choice. But I couldn't put it any higher, even though if I was ranking purely on quality, it might go a touch higher. But yeah, From from Russia With Love's at number five for me. It's getting uh, it's getting to the point where it's like oh you know it's like it, it is like choosing your babies as well it's like ah oh, so like getting painful. It is now, um, yeah. uh, my number four I think it's everyone knows my top three really going in so there's only one left uh, it's a Stonehold classic it's effortlessly enjoyable it it's confident it's nice and shiny it but it basically gave birth to what we know of the Bond series to be it is Goldfinger. Um, you know, it's easy to kind of like dismiss, you know, golfing for its kind of for be for being the stereotype Bond film, to in a, in a manner of speaking. But the truth is, when you sit and watch it, it's so goddamn classy and so goddamn entertaining, and it's just so easily watchable. You know, that's no mean feat. And I know we've dissed Guy Hamilton a lot, 
over the years, but end of the day, he gave us one of the fran- uh, the best in the franchise. And um, hats off to uh, Guy Hamilton. He gave he gave us Goldfinger. Well, I've also put Goldfinger at number four. I really it was a bit of a toss up when we reviewed them. And we got to the end of Connery, and we ranked Connery. I put Goldfinger ahead from Russia with Love. But it was kind of an interim thing. I thought, uh, I haven't revisited much, but I did revisit from Russia with Love before we ranked these, because I thought, are you sure you don't want to put this ahead of Goldfinger? And there's also a bit of a cliche that non-Bond fans tend to put it top or near the top. So you'll see like entertainment weekly type articles where Goldfinger will be number one. And it's a bit of a cliche that, that Bond fans don't tend to sort of rank it as high as the general public. And th- there are things wrong with it. Structurally, Bond has way too much success about against Goldfinger early in the film. And then the bits of the film where he's supposed to be figuring it out, he's stuck in a cell doing nothing. But it's iconic. And, and I said at the time, it's the time capsule film. It's the Bond film. doesn't make it the best Bond film. But it's the Bond film. It is the one. And I have a better time with it by and large, certainly in later viewings, than I have with From Russia With Love. It's not actually my favourite Connery. My favourite Connery is Doctor No. But I can't argue it's better than this. This film's terrific. So at number four, for me, also is Goldfinger. Me three is also my number four position. Oh, God, we've all put it. (laughs) (laughs) I think our top three is going to look vaguely similar. No, it's, yeah, just literally just to echo what you guys said, it just it gave birth to the Bond genre for me anyway. Um, yeah, so looking, I managed to kind of meet Guy Hamilton before he passed, and he's just a thoroughly lovely man. Um, lots of interesting stories to tell. I've, I've just, um, just realised, I'm sorry to interrupt, I've just realised me and Chris are going to have the top six the same, just in a slightly different order. <laughs> but okay, go yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, it's, really, well, it's, it's going to happen, isn't it? So. I know it is. But definitely, no, so it's a classic movie. You've got Shirley Bassey belting out that score. Um, you know, amazing score and memorable characters, memorable villain, memorable henchman, an odd job. Um, Glow is like the most memorable one girl ever. And Sean Connery again is, you know, he still he doesn't. It's a bit rubbish in this one. He doesn't do much, and most most of it being captured. The character uh, is he's not. Oh no no no! Generally he's not. <laughs> no, obviously not. No, generally not. No, but um, yeah, just I love it. It's a classic. You know, regardless of it being it is, film or not, just a, as, as a film, it's just generally a classic. It's just such a swaggering performance from him as well. It really is. I, I, yeah, really, really impressed with it. And, and and we've lost two people this year from it, haven't we? We've got like Bert, Bert Kwok and uh, and Guy Hamilton. Oh, yes, yeah, we have. Make, makes me wonder who's next. You know, it worries me because we're only in July as we record this. Twenty sixteen has been like the year of so many deaths. What's going on? Yeah, form a protective cordon around the older bonds, please. Mm. Not even the older Bonds, because we've lost a few youngsters this year in terms of the, the, the general, you know, acting community and stuff. Yeah, it's been very sad. But, but yeah, Goldfinger is, is the, the Bond film that you'd hand to someone who says, what's that Bond series about? You just would, because it, it, it's a bit older. It's got a bit classic feel to it. It says it yeah, all. It is. It is. It tells you what the Bond series is. And it's iconic. Uh, so we get to the top three now. Oh, God. I have Casino Royale at number three. Just flipping Goldfinger. <gasps> okay. Well, just because it, yeah, it rebooted the franchise um, and it's a culturally important film for that reason alone. Daniel Craig, I think the whole production team behind it has done so much for, for the series, bringing it into like the modern day. Um, he's been there for like 10 years now, so it just, that says a lot as well. Um, 
that's yeah, it's no surprise. I don't think it's. I I really enjoy this movie. It's just it's, it's you know just I, I can't words fail me. <laughs> it's just that fucking good. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> that's what I want to say. Well, I, it's so good that it's slightly controversial. You've put it at three. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, and that's perfect. That's incredible. I mean, anything top three is amazing. But then num- number one and number two are going to be expected. So. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. I, I know from process of elimination. What, yeah, what it's going to be. And I think I know what order they're in as well. But yeah. it, it's it is such a mark of quality. Yeah, a fantastic film. Fantastic piece of work. Um. So I think our our three Dave are pretty much the same aren't they I don't know if they're in the same order my number three is License to Kill License to Kill if I was marking purely favourite purely what order of I want to put them into my Blu-ray player this would be at number two um, I can't argue it's a better film than most of what's around it though because yeah, I could probably put it ahead of Goldfinger I'm not even sure about From Russia With Love but, you know, wait, there are too many people and Buffont here and all the rest of it. This film has a few little issues, but they're minor. And it, it's almost a minor reboot in itself. It's a little bit of a reinvention of, 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 not a reinvention, but stretching what they've done with the character in terms of new locations. It's a very gritty performance. Um, I think, as I said before, the first time I got it with Dalton, was footage of him in that bar starting to fight, elbowing somebody. And I thought, my God, this guy's really got it. We joked about the homoerotic elements, but him and Sanchez have a wonderful chemistry. They sell us that he cares about Felix and Della. Again, all jokes aside, it's beautiful to look at. It's got one of the best lead performances in the series. It tries to do something new. Watching it again recently, and I watch it quite a lot, um, I've never been a Robert Brown fan, but Robert Brown's got wonderful chemistry with uh, Timothy Dalton, actually. And I would include The Living Daylights in that. I think that those two play off each other quite nicely. And I do be- I do buy him and Pam, not as being in love or anything, but I think they've got a good rapport between them. But the biggest thing, forget everything I just said and talking about score and cinematography and everything else. Biggest selling point for this film for me is, if you said to me now... Uh, very late in the evening, stick a Bond film on. This one would go in. I love it. License to Kill at number three. Um, yeah, I can only just repeat what Dave just said. Um, it, it that is basically what makes me put it at top three. It's like I think it's probably the one I've watched the most. Um, I think ever since I've, wa- I've watched it, it, you know, like Living Daylights, it's just kind of grown with me all the time I didn't realize it was my favorite it's well one of my favorites at the time it just became one of the, my one of my favorites just by natural decree and you, you can poke holes in it but um and maybe the whole um the, the kind of like ha- having to kind of been told that Timmy Dalton's bond was rubbish sort of makes you want to go no fuck you you're wrong and it's becoming even more evident that you know it's it's just not true I Generally, you know, this is kind of this pretty much sums up the way I want Bond, my Bond, to be. You know, and I think Dalton, you know, even though he's only ever had two Bonds, I think he's kind of crept in as my actual Bond, uh, my Bond of choice. Uh, everyone's got their favourite uh, for whatever reason, but I think Dalton is my favourite Bond. He's what he's the actor I prefer to see on screen, and his old demeanour and performance as Bond. Um, literal or not, I think it's just it just sum, it just sums up what how I see the character or how I 
And, it, and, and, and I think it's also a shame that Dalton never did more action films because he's really good at it. The thing is, he was at... Well, I say he was at his peak. He's in his 40s here, and for action films of the time, maybe... Well, no, I suppose Stallone was in his 40s, so was Schwarzenegger at this point. The thing is, this is an era where they were all like He-Man figures. Mm. I mean, this is an era of, like, steroids and oiled muscles. And as much as you still have that now, there is still room in the marketplace now for, like, a Liam Neeson and an older guy and, you know... But you go back to, like, Rocky Four, Commando, all of those films of this era, they were all ridiculously roided out. And Dalton didn't fit in with that, particularly as his Bond was still smoking. But yeah, there is no doubt he does action nearly as good as the guy I'm about to talk to next. Well, I think I think that you know there was a chance we could do things like you know Lethal Weapons and Die Hards that weren't quite. There was more stepping away from like, more. Like, That's a good point. Actually, um, I did forget about Die Hard. Yeah. So, but then again, you know, the public didn't take to Dalton at the time, uh, which is a which is a shame. Uh, I think, as you say, we talked about this actually experimented and wanted to be something different. Um, and it's a shame it didn't take off because I'd, you know, I'd love to see like another few films with this tone. But hey ho! But in a day, Licence to Kill, God damn it, is one of my favourite Bond films. It is number three. So top two guys. I'm interested. Actually, I, I, am I? I might be being fit, but I generally can't think of what Becker's top uh, number two is. I know. I know. I've got them placed in. I know. I know what they so, are. I know what uh, she hasn't said so far. Becca, put put Chris out of his misery. What's your number two? Watch of Love, of course. Oh. Let's see. Well, it's going to be one of two things, wasn't it? Well, well, I completely completely forgot. I couldn't remember what you've not said. I was like, oh my God, what the hell? Anyway, uh, okay. From Russia of Love, what is it? Uh, I didn't didn't realise you loved it that much. Maybe I've just forgotten. It was one of the first movies I saw on, well, one of the first on Blu-ray as well, and it it looks fantastic, um, as if it was made today. There's a proper, like, you know, you've got other Cold War kind of, like, spy thrillers. So you've got um, the Harry Palmer series. Um, exactly. It's kind of, it's like that. It's a really good old-fashioned spy thriller. And that's one of my all-time favourite movies and all-time favourite Bond movies as well. So just deservedly number two spot. I'm, I'm glad someone put it higher than me because I thought, well, you know, Dave did put it higher than me as well. But uh... <laughs> Yeah, well, I did. Uh, to be honest, last time I ranked the Bond films, it was at number it was at number three, actually. Uh, my top two has been my top two for a while. Uh at number two, Casino Royale. Um, frankly, we talked about favourite Bonds in the opening intro episode we did. Um, I cannot split my three favourite Bonds now, to be honest with you. I, I would put I would put Connery, Dalton and this guy pretty even for different reasons. Nobody does close in combat like Daniel Craig. Nobody quite does intensity like Daniel Craig. And he is the most lethal of all the Bonds. Not in terms of outcome. Because frankly, they made uh, more and Brosnan Superman, so one punch they'd knock people out. Well, Daniel Craig's not like that, but you do believe he is a lethal peak agent. And this film gives us a great economy of action. It characterizes the man through action. The dialogue all works. People talk about this as a dour Bond film. It's not. It's really funny, but it's just there aren't many jokes in it. It's just all the jokes do land. It's stylish. It looks great. It's one of Daniel Kleinman's best sequences. It's David Arnold's best score. It's got the second best Bond girl in the series. I'll explain why she's second and not first in a moment. 
it's got one of the best leading performances in the series. It's got a great ally that does remind you of uh, a Karen Bay or a Draco in Mathis. This film is virtually perfect. It's virtually flawless. Um, and the little reveal is actually the last time I ranked these, Casino Royale did go top, but it only went top briefly. It's the only time I've ever felt that way. It is strictly number two, though, and it is, in a quality respect, the top two are miles ahead of everything else. At number two for me, Casino Royale. I kind of have to agree with you on everything you said, but um, but I will follow up. Um, cause I think it'll come up quite nicely now. Um, my number two is on a Majesty's Secret Service. I, I will say, I, I think we will probably end talking about Honor Majesties, so I'll just pick up what you say. Casino Casino Royale is my favourite, and I think while we're doing this podcast, I think I had it there just on pure principle and just on, 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 just on sheer quality. I do love it, but at the end of the day, I love Casino Royale more. Uh, I think, and it goes back to what you're saying with License to Kill. If I had to put in a Bond film, I'd put in Casino Royale over On the Majesties. I'd probably put License over Majesties, but then again, I'm not going to say On the Majesties is is, is, um, is a lesser film than License to Kill. But um, yeah, I think for me, when I had did that double bill, uh, I remember uh, messaging you guys uh, talking about it, and Dave was getting a little bit excited for me. Uh, <laughs> I was just like, yeah. I think I prefer Casino Royale. Um, and just for everything that Dave said, it's just pretty much my favourite Bond film. Um, it's just always enjoyable. Gives me exactly what I want for a Bond film. Daniel Craig is couldn't be better. It is my number one. But now we're going to talk about the the very, very close call, which I think is everyone's number one on a Majesty Secret Service. Uh, I put Tracy above um, Vesper simply because she throws in some action as well. She's damaged. She is complex. There are things we never find out about Tracy. Um, I do think Diana Rigg is phenomenally good in the role. She sells me that that Bond would fall in love with her, whereas even Vesper, I don't quite buy it in quite the same way, even though it's extremely good. It's the prettiest film in the series. I, I don't understand people who say Skyfall is washed out in digital. Uh, it's the prettiest film in the series. It's John Barry's best score. It's the best leading lady. It's uh, the, the only time Blofeld's been done even remotely half-decent. I agree with that. It's just got everything. And the biggest knock on it tends to be Lazenby. I think it suits the youngest Bond because he makes mistakes based on being a young man, like he's putting his libido first and stuff like that. Um, But it has that gut punch ending that you can never do a second time. And as much as Casino Royale sells it to me, it's the second time we've seen it because we saw it with Tracy. I think it's the most beautiful film in the series. I wish Peter Hunt had stayed and done a run of them with with um, Lazenby, and they they'd crafted you know three, four, or five between them. It was a closer call than I ever expected, simply because I watched Casino Royale and Majesties again fairly recently, um, and I watched Majesties with somebody else, and they weren't that into it. They didn't dislike it, but they they weren't as into it. And I'd had such a great viewing of Casino Royale, so they are close in quality. But the fact this film is so gorgeous and it sounds so wonderful pushes it over the top so my favorite 
and it will probably always be my favourite, is Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, I'll just be repeating what everyone else has said, really, to be honest. It's, it's got everything. You've got the action, you've got the drama, you've got the romance as well for the ladies. So it's, you know, I think on our on JBR recently, they're saying, okay, so if a lot of Bond is very obviously a male-oriented genre, um, and I don't know many other, you know, g- girls or women who are, who are Bond fans. But it's like, you know, if, if, if you're a guy and if you're a Bond fan and you want to get the other half into Majesties, this is the way, into Majesties, into Bond films. This That's is the way right. to go. <laughs> we'll get the totty on board when we move on to Star Trek. Going <laughs> <laughs> further and further into nerd. Turn around! <laughs> okay. <laughs> but no, definitely. I think, yeah, Majesties is a film that, that really has it all. I mean, George looks, looks great. He was the youngest in, in the role. Um, and yeah, def- yeah definitely. I think when, 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 yeah, when Tracy is, is shot at the end, it's, you know, Bond really feels it. Whereas, like when when Vesper dies, Bond's just like, yeah, bitch is dead. You know, screw that. Oh, I don't onto know. The, onto he's the next one. after she's died. Oh no, it's, it's still sad, but at the same time, but like it, you know, you, you really feel it. Puts um, the armor back on. Well, that's it exactly. And just like, well, that's it. But it's worth, you know, it should um, had had history gone another way, and had George done like Diamonds, a proper revenge thriller, then he would have kind of been more hard edged about it, I think. Um, but no, I just bloody love this film. So there we are. Yeah, I mean, it's not much to say. I mean, great score. It looks great. Got the best Bond girl. Uh, it's got a great debut um, for a leading man in the role of Bond. Shame he didn't stay on doing other and proved everyone wrong, but hey. Um, no, but he grew that beard, didn't he, and thought, no, bigger than Jesus. Probably up there, one of the best directed of the Bond series. Um, it takes chances. Uh, uh, my favourite Great score, groundbreaking score as well. My favourite Blofeld. Um, it it has some really nice stylistic touches that are just kind of yeah, that haven't been done in the Bond film before that really do set it on, on site. It and more importantly, um, it sells a love story, uh, and it probably sells it more than any of the Bond films. And as much as I put Casino Royale above it, it sells it better than Casino Royale. Not that Casino Royale does a bad job of it. It comes a close second to it. But I buy I buy Bond falling for Vesper just as much as I buy Bond falling for Tracy, but I buy Tracy falling for Bond more than I buy Vesper falling yeah. for him. And that's kind of what I'm saying. You know, it's you know, it's not you know, not saying neither of them work. They do both really work. They both but, work. But if you, but if you, well, but they're, if you, they're yeah. doing it at the behest of other people. Yeah. I mean, she's doing it obviously because of because of Draco, and Vesper's doing it because of Swapter, obviously. But it's like, well, yeah, I can't, I can't buy it. Personally, I'd buy Tracy more. That, that's, that, that's no bad on Eva Green, though. So. And I think, for me, it's because I think we have, like, the scene where we actually see Bond literally, like, love hearts and eyes, almost, kind of thing. It's like, well, yeah. just that light bulb hits in, like, shit, I love this woman. You know, where... I mean, you that, know. That, that, that sequence set to We Have All the Time in the World is just beautiful. I mean, there are some questionable outfit choices. Um, but generally, it's a lovely sequence. Yeah, it's, it's it's an awkward time in fashion, you know. Uh, but <laughs> but you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, it's 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 got some great action in it. Uh, I mean, it's the first half is pretty much all story set up, set up story, um, and then for the last like hour or so, it's just like pure just action, running, chasing. You know, it's it's a bold film, and I'm glad it's getting repraised the way the, the way it has. I mean. I to think that I hadn't even heard of this film growing up, and I was a huge Bond fan when I even when I was young. So I was even surprised that like who's this guy? Oh, it's George Lazenby. What he played Bond? 
you know, <laughs> you know, it was yeah. Uh, I can I can understand from a young person's perspective it not being instantly being drawn to it like the others, but. Um, and as much as it's been reappraised, I still say to like people now who are like more casual fans, not non-fans, but people who like Bond a bit, and I'll say my favourite's the Lazenby. They go, "Fuck off, really." And I go, have you seen it lately? No, I haven't. I saw it once years ago. It's still it. I wouldn't say it's best kept secret, but it's still a, it's still a Bond fan's delicacy. Hmm. I yeah. I, I think. I mean, I, I don't know how, how. Where does it rank on the general list? Still, I mean, is it? Is it? Is, it's it's very... normally fairly high. Yeah. It is normally fairly high, but it, there are still a significant number of people out there. We don't really know it. So there you are. So, um, sitting around my number one, and yours is uh, on a Majesty's. So, uh, yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> well, that's that. Well, I, 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 I kind of feel like David Tennant saying, "I don't really want to go." We can write and shoot a Bond film by next week. We can re- we can review it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, get get me Craig on the phone now. <laughs> So you never know. The next Bond movie, you know, that's, that's going to come out might just blow all our socks off, and they'll be like, "Oh, this is the best one ever." You never it's know. One of the reasons he wanted to do short series in between because it gives you a time to sort of get over what you've just reviewed. I'd hate to be four episodes into Star Trek before I get over the fact we're not doing Bond anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I will miss this. This has been our identity. This is what we are. We've been a Bond podcast. Most of our listeners are Bond fans, and it's been wonderful to do. It's the whole reason we got together. We wanted to review the Bond films. I really enjoyed it. It's been, it, yeah, I mean, I've really enjoyed it, but I'm kind of looking forward to getting onto other films and and uh, and adding our critical analysis and smut to them. Well, we will, we will review Star Wars, and to quote Obi-Wan Kenobi, we've taken our first step into a larger world. I'm sure there are plenty of other series that lead themselves nicely to dick and fart jokes. <laughs> and if it doesn't, we'll cram one in there. It's fine. We will desperately force. <laughs> we'll find one. Situation. Dave will make one up. <laughs> I can't wait. I, I don't know how we're going to do that when it gets to like Sophie's choice. <laughs> oh dear. Well, so that's it for Bond, folks. What are we going to do now? Where can you find us on social media, Chris? Where can we find you? Um, yeah, you can find me at Cinematronics on Twitter, and you can uh, find this podcast and my other podcasts I do uh, on uh, CinematronicsCo.uk. You can find me at the Pasty Kid nineteen seventy six on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at RVMovies. Or you can find us on Twitter at Expect Us to Talk. Email us Expect Us to Talk at gmail dot com or on Facebook dot com slash Expect Us to Talk. Oh, grab your fedora hats, grab your whip, but watch out for snakes because we're going to delve into the world of Indiana Jones. Your Favourite movie podcast. Do you expect us to talk? We'll return with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, before we go, the Honor Blackman joke. We keep getting asked. Can I tell people now? Nah, nah I think nah. I, I think she'll leave it so a secret. But people are going to complain, aren't they? I did say, oh, no, I said on Twitter I'd mention it. Oh, fuck, right. Okay, Honor Blackman is 91 now. She was 90 at the point where I told this joke. And basically, all I was trying to say was, because she's 91, <gasps> if you meet her in person, there's a very, very good chance that what will happen will be... No, Dave, don't do it. Does- <laughs>